0: Thank you. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I would like to offer my co-host, Scott Daly, these tokens of my
1: power. What, uh, what do they do? (laughs) Nothing sinister. They just make you want to murder people. Uh, didn't catch that, but now I'm sinking through the floor. Anyway, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of symbolic glasses adjustment, barf eating, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we are continuing our journey through Arc 12 Heavens with chapters 12.f and 12.7. At long last, Matt, the Cradle interlude is here, and as expected, he's a complex, rich character that I still hope dies. (laughs) Then Victoria and company have to deal with a pissed-off, guilt written Cradle... And it's a massive, massive cape fight involving guns, barf ingestion, and most importantly, Victoria telling her mom to fuck off. Matt, what did you think of these two chapters?
0: Well, the Cradle Interlude uh, instantly took its place as one of my favorite Wild Boat chapters of all time, Um, so that that should speak for itself. And then with the Victoria chapter, we have what is basically... um, I feel like I say this a lot, but but a culmination of a lot of stuff that's been set up over time. We, we have a lot of lines being crossed. Um, everyone, including Victoria, is well on the other side of all of the lines that at the start of the story they said they were never going to cross and then had really, really strong feelings about. And uh, it's, it's chaotic. It's violent. Uh, people are trying to kill each other. And I can't wait to talk about it.
1: Yeah, what I like about these two chapters is each of them kind of have this this clear motif surrounding it, right? We have the 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 cradle chapter, the image of his glasses and the symbolism behind his glasses are kind of like the thing that carry us thematically through his journey. Um and then in the Victoria chapter, we have this um this kind of rumination on power and leadership as she's struggling up against a, a leader that is very different from her. And we kind of see her journey throughout this one chapter um, that, like you said, is playing off of everything that has been building up over the course of this arc and this entire book um, into her struggling with how to best lead this group and and maybe a, a requirement that that leadership change. And I always like these chapters when they have this very clear, like, like individual focused, small thematic through line in them. And so, yeah, I liked both of these a whole lot.
0: Yeah. Um. All right, well let's let's as soon as possible get into talking about him. (laughs) All right. Uh, I guess first, just a reminder to everyone that we're going to be talking about March March Madness at the end of sorry sorry March's Madness at the end of the show.
1: Matt, get it right.
0: I know, I know. Um, Yeah, uh, so so stick around because we're going to be going over the winners of the you know of the last round, and then Scott and I are actually going to be making our picks live. We haven't made our votes yet I know. for the uh, current round.
1: I didn't plan on us both doing this, but uh, <laughs> you said it too, so we're, we're going with it.
0: Yep. All right, let's move on into the chapters. We begin 12.f, of course, uh, using the naming scheme such that f comes after e. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, by, so by that, of course, you mean the alphabet.
0: Right. And that was, I believe, love lost. Right. So, uh, so in, in other words, the, the, all, all the cluster members, actually, I don't think the I don't think the pattern has been perfectly, um, consistent maybe, but anyway, the idea is that the cluster members are being marched through alphabetically, even though that sequence is happening across multiple, um, arcs.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So at the end of the last chapter, cradle touched his glasses Uh, without putting them on almost as if they were some kind of anchor for him and here at the start of this interlude he is taking off the glasses holding them using them as a reminder Um, and what they are to him in this moment in this flashback are a reminder of a particular lesson and that lesson is one of self-control patience and specifically not to throw tantrums
1: yeah and i think we talked about at the end of last chapter this was one of those moments where you had read the chapter and I hadn't, but I, I really noticed that the, the text really like wanted us to zoom in and focus on the moment where he reaches down to pick up his glasses before he starts to scream. And I, I, I thought that it was telegraphing um, and a symbolic importance here. And it turns out that this is absolutely the case. That is mm-hmm. what is, what is true throughout this entire chapter with cradle throughout um, all the changes and the decisions he's making um, the glasses and the, and the image of the glasses is kind of our binding on this chapter. um, And, and it like, it's, it's fun because you go back and you kind of think about the, I think the first time rain described cradle in the dream, he described him as a, a guy whose distinguishing feature was his glasses that were scratched up, right? They were so scratched up that it didn't even look like he could see through them. And it, so it, it, it kind of, you know makes perfect sense for this character that we've known kind of from afar for a while but now we're are learning uh, more about that we start with this this one key characteristic and and that's where everything begins
0: yeah the the symbol of the glasses is- uh, it does so many things in this chapter. It's, yeah. it's meaningful in, in many different places and we're going to keep coming back to it for sure.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's one of those things that I've, I've struggled with, um, with this book before. And, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording. And I think you, you keyed me in on a, an important thing about this is I've struggled sometimes with some of the symbolism in this book is very overt. It's very like the book explains exactly what the symbol means. Um, and, and I, I struggle with whether or not I like that or not. And one of the things that you keyed me into here was well, this is a symbol that's operating on multiple levels, right? It's operating on a, a meta thematic level for us, the reader. We talk about the glasses, we talk about it as a, a lens in which distorts things around it, um, a thing that distorts light. It's, it's an image we've been talking about throughout this entire book. But the reason why the symbol here seems very explicit is because it's a symbol to our main character. These glasses have symbolic meaning to us, the reader, but they also have symbolic meaning to our character. So, of course, our character, our very pragmatic, our very cold, calculating character, is going to be very upfront and obvious with what his symbol means to him. It makes perfect sense in the point of view of the character we have. And that's got me to a place where I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get get why this symbol is, is so so straightforward and and kind of stated to the reader through that perspective. Yeah.
0: yeah we were we were reflecting on how we we have like objects in our in our lives that have meaning for us like it's uh you know a physical thing we're not book characters but but the object still represents something to us um and you know the thing about this story is is especially victoria she's a very analytic protagonist she's a very yeah, she, she's prone to to these like digressions of thought, where where she will think about the meaning of things. Um, so she's unusually likely to think about the the, the symbolic meaning of of objects. But on, on another level, I think there are symbols in the story. Like we frequently talk about the colors. We frequently talk about this idea of things that bend light and light as a symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are, those are not things that Victoria explicitly thinks about as being, you know, meaningful to her, but, but they are, um, doing things in terms of how you, you know, read the story and, and, and see it. And, uh, uh, we haven't decoded what these symbols mean, but, um, but just I'm pretty yet. sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we. am pretty sure we'll figure it out eventually.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but speaking that to that that symbolic glasses, I think it's important to kind of state what these what these very clearly are, both meta textually and then uh, intertextually <laughs> <laughs> within within Cradle's own understanding of his own symbol. There, they the glasses serve as a tool to correct his view of the world because his natural view of things is not uh the right one it's a different one it's a skewed one and uh, it's not correct as far as what everyone else sees. They they serve as basically a mask that he puts on to become a person that sees things in that correct way. And their existence is a constant reminder of that fact. And and like you said, he goes back to this constantly throughout this chapter, adu- adjusting them, touching them, cleaning them. And then of course his trigger event is is very important. This this symbol of what happens to the glasses and and why it happens is so very important to everything. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love this this blurriness that exists without the glasses, without the mask, without the the lens to normalize his view of the world
0: right right um yep so the first segment of the cradle interlude follows ryan that's his name ryan's manipulation of his homeroom teacher mrs parish and we begin to understand what kind of person he is immediately all of his portrayals of emotion are calculated we have stuff like oh he said he tried to look like he was digesting that everything is everything is a put on and he's considering how it's being received.
1: Yeah, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about how the the chapter like structurally takes advantage of all this stuff because we start with the glasses, like we said. That's the first thing we do. The most important element for everything is the element we start with here. And then because we ended the last chapter with glasses, we know immediate that, immediately that this is cradle. The story doesn't actually specifically say it's cradle until very late in the story, but it also doesn't treat it as a reveal because the assumption is it's telegraphed it, you know, Ryan is cradle. Um, and, and so suddenly we know we're here and we know this is cradle, but we, and we know who Cradle is in the future, but we don't know who Cradle is in the past yet. And it's kind of slowly kind of dripping and dribbling these hints for us about what kind of person he is and what may be wrong with him. Um, and and it does this through these really ingenious ways, like you were saying, these like little little beats about how he's not experienced emotions. They're just all performative. Um, and he's fully aware of that fact. And And the thing I really like about it. Is. There's a moment in this early chapter where you're not quite sure what to make of all this, because the way the chapter is constructed, Cradle builds a narrative. Around himself that makes him seem like the victim at first like he's talking about like oh mrs. Parrish like deserves like I could I could really hurt her and she would deserve it Um, and you don't know what it is that he's done like he's like the, the teachers have been riding him incessantly like they, they're unfair to him they just like take pleasure in his misery and you're like wow that's kind of fucked up of course he's hiding the reason for all that which is that he's been an absolute devil to everyone in the school the entire time and he but But there's a moment in this chapter where you don't you don't quite know. Right. And and Mm -hmm. and it's like it's I think it's playing off the fact that, you know, this is this is Cradle, but you don't know, like, is this a story of Cradle as uh, a guy who was like a put upon victim that that was thrown into this life or what is it going to be? And and you don't know that yet. And I think it, it helps like you go through this this early part of the chapter.
0: Yeah, like the first half of this section, I was thinking, oh, the, the way Wildbow is going to make me feel empathetic with this character is to show that he's been um, basically broken by you know teachers and and authority figures, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I I could probably sympathize with that, but but no, it's not it's not that actually. He's he hasn't been broken. Uh, the only way in which perhaps you could say that he's been broken is that when he was basically a, a small kid, he threw a tantrum, broke his glasses. And like basically faced a consequence of his lack of control. Right. And and, you know, that there are the glasses again, showing that he loses something he really values when he throws a tantrum, he'd better, he'd better start playing the long game and this sticks with him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that kind of the way the teacher, I'm blanking on her name right now, but the way the teacher, like Miss Parrish, thank you. Um, The way she kind of lectures him, like you can see a point of view that it's like that there's a way of, making things so that she's actually the bad one. Right. Like that, like she's being a jerk. Like the, the, the karma symbol is I think very intentional because it is, it is a swastika a reverse Mm -hmm. swastika rather, which is, you know, a, a Buddhist symbol. Um, but it also has very powerful imagery attached to it. Right. So like the fact that, It's described by the text as a reverse swastika, knowing that it has that powerful imagery attached. I think this is this is, again, kind of manipulating you into maybe buying into Cradle's bullshit a little bit. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe not everyone thinks the same way, but I'm like. Why would a teacher wear such a provocative thing? Like <laughs> like like you you know that's gonna cause a a stir, right? Right. right. So, I mean
1: you know, I, I think yeah. the, the truth in our world is that you just really can't do that anymore. Like the yeah. this the the Nazi symbol has taken over the meaning of that symbol. And yeah. um no, but maybe maybe in this earth <laughs> was the when was the differentiating point? It I was the eighties, right? 80s, so yeah, yeah so was, yeah. there was definitely Nazis. Yeah. Well, cause right. there's all empire 88. Yeah. So right. yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I think it's all part and parcel of the kind of manipulation that we're being, we're being thrown under in this early part of the chapter where we kind of, we kind of maybe very briefly tie into the, the, um, the cradle is the victim bullshit here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think so. So when his parents arrive, we come to understand that he has successfully roped his parents into being his enablers. Basically, his life is easier when they think he's an angel. Um, they're very eager to think that he's better, and so he behaves well for the sake of en- it, like a, enlisting them as his defenders. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's critical to point out, and I think it's going to be pointed out consistently that even though he doesn't have, you know, normal human empathy he's still able to appreciate the value of having allies and friends. Yeah. But, but uh still at this point in his life, he's a purely manipulative evil shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially in his school life. And, and I think this, this is so, it's such a wonderful buildup because like we said, we've been talking about this thing where we, we have maybe been manipulated into believing cradle or seeing him as the victim. Ryan, I should stop saying cradle. Ryan, we maybe bought into this bullshit a little bit. And then there's this one moment where, where I think Wildbo recognizes the importance of this, where they're walking out of the school and his dad turns to him and says, did you hurt that girl? And the response is no, he lied with sincerity. And I think that is the moment when the chapter reveals the manipulation, when it, when it fully takes away the smoke screen and you fully start to see who and what Ryan is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a wonderful moment that you've kind of been baited into buying this. You kind of see maybe from his parents' point of view, you see cradle as, as maybe he, or they see him. Um, But then because we're in his point of view, we get to see that crumble and we know, we know exactly who he is.
0: Yeah. And and we don't find out for quite a while what he actually did, which I love as a, as a bit of like horror tone where you're like, Oh God, what did he do? And your imagination runs wild. Yep. (laughs) So later, Cradle's a little bit older, I guess. He's at a new school, and he befriends a girl, Amanda, and another kid from his old life.
1: Yeah, can we just talk a little bit about the befriending of Amanda, though? Because it's <laughs> like this, it's like this. I think, very specifically Victoria-esque examination of her clothes. And he also did this to Mrs. Parrish, right? It was this very targeted, specific, um, like, dress down of clothes as a method of uh examining a person yeah it's a
0: detective type thing
1: right right it's and of course it makes sense for his character because he's this very detail-oriented guy um he he reads into details and and uses details to suss out information about people uh partially i think because his understanding of emotions is so skewed but um i i don't think like i'm not saying like he's just like he's just like Victoria. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But it it is, I think it is very specifically like, Oh, that's kind of what Victoria does. Only like a nastier version of it.
0: Right. Yeah. It's what Victoria does, but basically just aimed at figuring out how to destroy that person.
1: Right. And, And I don't like he uses, like he sees, he sees someone wearing poor clothes and, um, he sees that as a person he can manipulate, a person he can control. Yeah. Um, and, and, which is not, which is not quite the same thing as what Victoria says, even in her internal m- monologue, when she does.
0: Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think at this point, it'd be good to talk like at a higher level, at a more abstract level, about what is doing with this character. Mm-hmm. Because this character is a clinical psychopath. And, While he may not be the first Wild bo clinical psychopath character, he's definitely the one where we're given the most evidence that that's probably the correct diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a kid who probably had like oppositional defiant disorder and he grows into a teenager who actually works hard to be something approaching unimpeachable, not because he cares about other people, but because he recognizes that his life is better if other people have no reason to despise him. And... The text tells us from his point of view, it says he'd had to work for a long time now at every interaction, every project. And basically we're 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 seeing that him him being on his best behavior is difficult for him. It is constant work for him, but he's still doing it because it's worth it to him.
1: Yeah. And I really I really love this because like it, it automatically takes you from a place where you're like this fucking little shit to where you're like. Oh, I mean, he has a mental illness like he mm-hmm. there his his brain does not work in a way that leads to empathy and emotional understanding and morality in the way we know it, so it's like you're immediately kind of put to a place where like I'm no longer calling – I'm no longer comfortable calling this kid, at least this version of him, a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I think that's, that's unfair and dismissive and, like, he's just someone who struggles with things that the rest of us don't struggle with. And he's undiagnosed. He's not on medication. He's just kind of alone to figure all this out by himself. And um, he's trying.
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure, like what what they do, what they can do for someone who is in his position f- from a clinical perspective. But, but but regardless, yeah, I agree with you. Like he didn't choose to be this way, right? The the text is as clear as is possible that he was born this way. He's been like this since he was a baby. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's purely like originating from this one lesson involving, you know, his glasses where he learns. Oh, I need to. I need to exert some control and at first up like through the first maybe half of this of this chapter maybe that, that's a pretty rough estimate but th- th- through the first half of things he, he's thinking in terms of I need to control myself so I can play the long game. Mm-hmm. And the long game is I get to get away with more fucked up things if I... If I behave well. Yeah. And eventually that ceases to be the gain, but we'll, we'll see how that evolves over, over time.
1: Yeah. And, and what I love about it is how the writing reflects that particular change, um, how Cradle's internal narrative adjusts as, um, the, the mask that he puts on. Uh, sits there for longer and longer and and mm-hmm. as as those glasses literally change in their meaning for him in 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 their purpose for him it's it's so clever it's so wonderful it's this like it's this wonderfully like poetic through line of this chapter that just, you know, m- makes everything work. It makes it- everything work. You said, this is one of your favorite wild blood chapters. And I kind of agree. Like, I think everyone lost their minds about 12 that all. Um, and I like that one a lot too, but this is, this is, this is interludes for me, man. This is what I love about these things. They're this, like this contained, you know, rhyming story almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, it can focus on this one character and, and right. this one character while being, a bit, a bit inhuman is not as inhuman as uh, the alien shards. So, yeah. So under the surface at this point, Ryan still gets some level of enjoyment out of fucking with people and getting away with things, particularly fucking with people who have wronged him in in his mind. Um, so in this first interaction with Amanda and Lloyd, we see hints of this flickers showing through the cracks, uh, stuff like, um, he passes a note to Lloyd and it says other students pass notes saying something like, Do you like Sarah? Y slash N. The note Lloyd got was simpler. Ernie, Joseph, Miss Butler, Christina, Lloyd too, Y slash <laughs> N.
1: This is so delightfully horrible. Like uh-huh. it, it's so it's it's simple, it's juvenile, and still absolutely monstrous. And, and I and I love I love Ryan's viewpoint on this because like This is introducing this concept of fair, right? Like this is one besides the glasses. One of the other things that that was introduced at the very beginning of this chapter and kind of carries us all through it is this idea of fairness, of karma, of do bad and bad will happen to you. Do good and you will be rewarded for it. And in his mind... He's been good. He's been patient. He's been making friends. He's been holding back. He's been behaving. He's been doing the work. And here comes this this surprise element, in someone from his old life that's going to screw it all up for him. And it's not fair. And I'm going. So he lashes out in uh the in the way that Ryan does in a very like evil, manipulative, terrifying way.
0: Mm-hmm. He he does he does lash out, but it's it's. What I would call a a controlled way of lashing sure, out, yeah. where it 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 results in kind of the best possible outcome, which which is Lloyd just basically immediately saying you're not going to have a problem with me, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the best possible outcome being he just scared this poor child to death.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And and I think it's important to note that um in, in these moments where he's considering doing this and working towards doing this and kind of waiting for his scheme to pay off, he's not wearing the glasses. He takes them off and he's like under the guise of cleaning them is what the text says. It's like these moments where he's like most closely acting upon his innate desires. He's not even wearing them anymore. It's not just an adjustment or a reminder. They're there. He has to hold them in his hands. It's a more pressing, more immediate reminder.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because I would be tempted to read that as uh, he's taking them off so that he he's taking off the mask. Right. Right. But that's that's not really what it is. It's, it's more exactly like you said. He's he's holding them with his hands, which is yet, <laughs> which is another important thing that's going to fold into yeah. all this is, is that he's he's someone who manipulates the world. But. What, he, what ends up happening to the, to him is he, he gets basically a fundamentally a manipulator shard. Yeah. And, and the, the, the MO of the shard is via like hands, pseudopods, tentacles or whatever. Right. um So, so the hands are obviously going to be key too. So him putting the glasses in his hands is a great way of connecting those two symbols. Yeah. And fantastic. What I,
1: and what I like about it, um it, I think like you said, it's not, it, it is him, I think taking off the mask, but it is not him removing the mask. It's like, he's, he's, kind of trying to have best of both worlds where he takes off the mask briefly to do this thing, but also it's still right there in his hands. So, Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't go too far. It's still controlled and contained, um, in a way that we're going to see later is not quite that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so in the next section we see signs that Ryan is changing further. Um, so what, what's happened now his time has passed. He's actually become friends with these two other kids. And he has done something really bad. He has stolen a cat. And in my reading, he has stolen a cat and left it to die in a cage. Um, And <laughs> I still think that's the right reading, um, but, but yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't and, know. Yeah. And and he's done this as an act of revenge against, against an old teacher, which is basically the kind of thing that motivated him before. Right. Um, but he stopped himself from going further than this in, in his own, in his own words. Um, and now he's telling his friends about this and it's all, it's a fascinating kind of calculated vulnerability because he's not, he's not telling them because he cares about them, but he's telling them because he wants to change. He's telling them as, as a kind of commitment device. He's basically saying, this is what I am. Keep an eye on me because I don't. I don't want to get into these situations basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're going to say a little bit later like that he's, he's going out of his way to break the illusion of who he is to these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting choice on his part. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this innate desire for him to be seen, not just through the lens that uh, he has been seen before, but, but to be judged as the person he is by these people around him. And yeah, to, to be kept in a check or, or, or to be rightfully judged as who he is or just, or just this desire, you know, maybe to, to, for people to acknowledge the hard work he's been putting in um, these very, I think, human desires.
0: Yeah. That's one thing that I love is that while Bo finds ways to make us connect with this character, he doesn't have empathy Sure. But he does have a lot of other human emotions. Yeah. And so you, you can still connect with him. You can empathize with him, even though he can't empathize with other people over the idea of like putting in a lot of work um, into changing and being better. Yeah. And and feeling like you've built this, um, you know, you you've built something, you've accomplished something and then something comes along to threaten that thing you've built that that that's something where you can feel for him, even yeah. though another part of you sees him as, as monstrous.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I, and I think one of the things that the, this whole cat, um, part does a really good job of is using that kind of well-trod serial killer trope. Um, like the torturing of animals is like the thing that, Oh, this is what, this is what leads to serial killers, right? Like psychopaths start out torturing animals and then they move on to humans a little bit later. Um, and this is, this is the road and I think like we're we're going down this very familiar path with Ryan, um, but we are seeing him step back. And that's where I think like I struggle with with your read about, OK, yeah, he didn't drown the cat, but he did just leave it in the cage until it starved to death, um, because that kind of damages what I think the, the the importance of the holding back is. So I don't I don't I don't know. Like I I read it multiple times and he definitely says he just left it under a tree. Um, in the cage still so i mean maybe someone came along and saw it there i don't i don't know um the text does not tell us but um
0: yeah that's possible right or it's possible that even he let it out later because it takes a while for an animal to starve um
1: yeah but but to me i mean this is like this is this is very specifically channeling that imagery but stepping back from it and so it's like like this is the path he's going to torture animals he's gonna move on to people and that's his future and then the text almost says well no hold on he's gonna stop it he's gonna find a way to stop it and um he's gonna find a way to turn back and Mm -hmm. and that is i think incredibly important towards the the entire journey of this character
0: yeah yeah i I think so there's you know, like for example, like you were saying, he he's really gratified that Lloyd thinks he's better. Uh, he even though Amanda doesn't seem convinced, yeah. but it, he he's gratified because it means that he's successfully tricked people into thinking he's normal. Um, but yeah, like like you said, he he's not making he, he he's making sure that his friends realize that he's not normal. That you know he's going out of his way to break this illusion. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and just like we said, I think that's very telling that that he makes that choice. He did not have to do that. And and as a person who, as we'll see a little bit later, is kind of obsessed with social currency of every interaction, um, every, everything he does for one of his friends or, or someone in his life, he feels like he needs to get something in return for it. Um, this seems to be the opposite of that. This this seems to be a, a move on his part that from a purely like cold calculated rational perspective doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think that's important to uh, the recognition of, of how he is growing and changing as a person, even if he is faking it, which he is like, he is faking this. He does not feel warm. He does not like these people like you and I like being around people. It is different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he Um, did still
1: almost drown a cat. (laughs) Like he he did. He did. He did do that.
0: Right. It, it, it is this very interesting thing that we've seen, you know, we've, we've hinted at this idea many times in the story. Is that like, you kind of become the mask that you wear mm-hmm. the shards kind of become the masks that they wear via, via the humans they occupy. Um, and, and yeah, he's doing something that from a like coldly rational, like, like Android perspective is, is an irrational move. Like he's He's tipping his hand when he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And, and like we said, it's because he's kind of drawing them into his world, but he's also using them to draw him into their world. Um, so I wanted to talk about this exchange here Yeah, where uh, Amanda doesn't believe that he's, that he's changed. And she says, better, you were going to drown a cat. Amanda raised her voice, but I didn't. I stopped there decided it wasn't worth the hassle. I don't get anything out of it. And the hassle, if I get caught... That's not a good reason. You're religious, aren't you? You do what you do because of God and heaven and fear of hell. Uh, <laughs> which is just really funny because a lot of people say that that's why they do things, but ultimately it's not, but it's, it's funny that a psychopath would think that that's why people do things.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I, I really, I really love this interaction because Amanda does not take this well. Um, and I admit like in, in their discussion of Ryan, I saw a bit of you and I's past discussions about this concept of morality and free will and how these things interconnect and and the the, the disagreements we've had about this in the past and uh, these are discussions when I th- which I think you have unquestionably won because you say uh, <laughs> blah 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 and my response is yeah but I don't like that <laughs> I don't like it ergo no yeah um, and and, right. and this is I mean I think this is like we're talking about how human. Ryan's reaction to things are sometimes things are sometimes. I think Amanda's reaction is very human too. I think it's like it, it makes a lot of extent sense for you to kind of instinctually go, "You only murdered that cat because it was too much of a hassle, not because it was wrong." It makes sense for you to hear that and be like, "Well, that's not good." Um, and I think there's a version of myself that had that initial reaction, right? That's like, oh, well, your motivations for this were not because it, it was bad, but just because you just didn't feel like doing it. Um, that's not a good sign, but I think that's the, the danger of that. And what, what, uh, Amanda is doing here. And, and again, she's a kid too. And I think she's not fully equipped to deal with a person who has Ryan's mental illness. Um, you're judging his brain against uh, a standard and a system that works entirely differently than his. Like the question is, and I think the question that this chapter poses many times is, does it matter why he didn't kill the cat as long as he didn't kill the cat? Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if anything, if you don't feel bad when you hurt people, but you still manage to, to not hurt people. Isn't that more impressive? <laughs> like, who cares, if, who cares what reasons you had to cook up? Isn't it more impressive that you managed to control yourself, despite the fact that you have no inner locus of, of moral feeling that's compelling you?
1: I kind, I kind of like that because it ties back into the last chapter, the chapter before this one, where Victoria and Rain were talking about um, how feeling bad about feeling good about doing bad things to people um, is part of how you measure yourself against going too far and yeah. and then we have this char- this character here who literally cannot do that they do not yeah. have that measurement device it does not exist on them
0: yeah and they didn't choose to be that way either which right. i think is worth repeating right right yeah and right. I, I, go ahead
1: no i just i just love how we we continue this this cat killing metaphor through the dress that he made her right mm-hmm. um this this moment like she needed a dress for the dance. She couldn't afford it. Ryan goes to his mom, learns how to sew, gets her help for the hard parts. Um, he doesn't finish a dress on time cause it's too complicated. He even misses her birthday. Um, but he still makes it for her. Eventually he admits that he didn't feel warm about this at all. This didn't make him feel good. Um, but he told himself it was laying the groundwork for something later. And I love, I love that he told himself thing because that's a very loaded phrase, right? That, that, that implies that it is kind of a self convincing moment where like almost as if he's acting irrationally against his normal measurement of transactions, um, but is trying to justify something he doesn't understand about himself in a way he can understand. So it's like, well, I, I must be doing this because, um, I'm going to, exchange this for some social currency later like that's the only reason why i would be doing this otherwise it doesn't make sense to me
0: yeah i mean just to take a stab at it i think the real reason is closer to like it actually bothers him that he can't convince her that he's better and 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 that's just again it's not a warm fuzzy thing it's it's a man i really want to like win right but but, but like, it's really hard to fault him for wanting to win at convincing someone that he's a good person. Yeah. So, Yeah. um, especially cause he's not, he's not thinking like, I want to convince her that I'm a good person so that I can manipulate her into a situation <laughs> where I can do something really horrible to her. Like that's, right. that's nowhere in this chapter. He, he probably even, even like the good version of, of Ryan, uh, that we're going to see, you know, closer to the middle, um, would probably still go after someone who they fe- who he felt had wronged him. Yeah. But so would like a mentally healthy person. <laughs> so True, true. Yeah. Um, well, and
1: and and the thing that I really like about the the capstone on this section of the chapter is at, at the end of it when we see he just like you're just like, "Oh, he made her a dress." That's mm-hmm. so nice. It's something she really care like that's so nice. It and it really is. It's such a nice thing to do for someone and and it almost doesn't matter that he didn't do it just because it was nice. He was convincing himself that he did it for a specific transactional reason. But then we have this moment where he realizes that the reason why she's not called Manny anymore, the reason why everyone calls her Amanda now is because he was subtly manipulating that away because he didn't like Manny. He didn't like mm-hmm. it's a stupid name for a girl, he said in his mind. And he arrange things to move away from that so so while I, I, the the story keeps us firmly like in this world of yeah he's doing these things and he's making progress but like there's still part of him that is this person it is still there even as even in all this work you can't you can't get rid of that part of yourself entirely mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah absolutely and, and and i think that the chapter does a fantastic job of not going too far in the direction of saying like, isn't he just such a good guy? Like, <laughs> no, he's not. Right. Um, but, but still let's give a guy credit where credit is due. Sure. Yeah. That, that, that I think is, is the fine balance that, that, that this chapter maintains.
1: Sure. I, I, I totally agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, so very suddenly, um, we take a, a hard right turn into Shardland. <laughs> and we meet a grasping self this motherfucker <laughs>
1: this motherfucker uh,
0: so here here comes the last thing ryan needs a completely inhuman cold alien mind fixated on controlling and manipulating the environment completely self-oriented and resentful of any imposition sidling up to him and uh, poisoning his brain
1: Yeah, it's it was a uh, unexpected swerve. I was not expecting this. I had I had a good idea of what this chapter was going to be and what it wasn't. And jumping into a shard point of view was not what I expected. But uh, I'm so glad it's here. I I really am. Like, I think structurally it comes at this wonderful point in the story where we're like, it's almost like a pause, um, a pause. At a moment of what seems like progress to just remind everyone that's reading Oh look what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know because because we have to remember that we we know this character's end story. We know where they end up for all the progress we've been watching them make, we know what's waiting for them. And it is grasping self that is what's waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Um and I, just like the the shard is so delighted at finding this person that is just like him and it's just mm-hmm. like fuck you.
0: Yeah. Right. This is probably the best possible like trajectory this kid can be on <laughs> yeah. given his given his starting conditions and you're just gonna rip the rug out from under I'm him. Gonna
1: go fuck it up.
0: Yep. I want to draw attention to the fact that almost every time it's a a grasping self. Not, you know, the grasping self or grasping self. It's a grasping self. Yeah. Like that's like another degree of dissociation or distance. Like even even Scion was the entity. Yeah. Um, which, which at least the gives you a sense of like, oh yeah, it's the, it's the character whose head we're in a, a, a grasping self is just like an, almost like a being narrating its own existence without any sense of identification with itself.
1: Yeah. I, which I th- is
0: really weird and disconnected. Right.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and that's like, this is the third shard point of view we've had now, Matt, um, mm-hmm. in this story and therefore Three is enough to start to make judgments about what the shards are, um, and how they they normally operate. And what we've seen is three shards that are entirely different from e- yeah. each other, right? So, like, so we were wondering, like, is Victoria's shard the outlier and March shard the way they both they normally are? Is March shard the outlier and Victoria's the way they normally are? And what we found now between these three is that. They're all kind of different, like people. They're not like, there's not like, they have an underlying set programming that we will talk about a little bit, but um, no one shard is like another.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, for example, Grasping Self spends months giving Ryan these weird dreams, kind of like prepping him, I guess, well in advance of the actual trigger event. And what's notable in, in all that is that it sees Ryan as the assistant. It's not. It's kind of like a partner, like like uh, waste sees Victoria. Yep. It's it it doesn't see Ryan as like a cute little thing that it can help. It's not <laughs> not a cute little bunny that it nope. can help. Nope. It's a Ryan is the shards subordinate. It it's he, he Ryan is is the shards assistant. Yeah. It's <laughs> the 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 shard is not Ryan's power. Ryan is the shards vessel.
1: Yep. I I love that. I love that. And I like I like this idea of him fucking with him with dreams, right? Um this is like I don't know if we had known that shards do this in the nah. past, have we?
0: I don't think so. I I think only recently only as of 12.0 all, did we even realize that the shards would like ride people around prior to uh triggering.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and just like this 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 kind of the ins, the insidious the insidiousness of it to like find a willing host and then to just sit around and be just like oh I'm just waiting for my moment oh any moment it's gonna come here and I'm just gonna do it and his worst fucking day I'll be here um mm-hmm. and and I just it's like ugh, I hate it I hate it I hate this fucking shard
0: I know it it is my least favorite shard so far that we've met
1: <laughs> who <Well, okay. laughs>
0: could Um, yeah. So in the mall, Ryan is mulling over his sincere disappointment that Lloyd has pulled away from him and he's trying to earnestly cultivate a friendship with Amanda. Um, at this point, it's not about Amanda. It's about winning this abstract game of showing that he can control himself and that he can work to have real allies.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess we should say this is the, yeah, we've jumped forward. This is post gold morning. Um, this is, this is the day of the trigger. Um, and I, when, when I first read you write, read what you wrote here, I, I wanted to push back against it. Um, I, I wanted to be like, no, I, you're you're wrong. I, I don't I don't see it's like him just still playing the game. I think he's he, this is he's changed. And I, I pulled all this evidence. So look how he's changed. Like at this moment where he says um, Lloyd had pulled away, recoiled even. Did that make the friendship not a friendship? It was a depressing thought. Understandable but depressing. And, and, and I, I like, I was like, look at this, look, look at the way he describes himself. He seems more in tune with emotions, more in like his, his internal narrative has shifted and changed what he's thinking about has shifted and changed. And I was like, no, that's so he's not playing the game anymore. He's actually changed. And then I realized that no, it's just the game has shifted. Um, We see in this moment where, he's internalized the glasses metaphor, right? The Mm -hmm. tick had evolved. It was less about actions now and then focus on better things. He told himself. So the glasses used to be a tick to remind himself not to do something. Don't act on this. You, you want to fuck over this person. Don't do it. You want to kill this cat. Don't do it. Now it's don't think like that. Now it's like he's, he's been wearing this mask for so long that it's not just actions, it's thoughts. And we're seeing that reflected in how the story is telling this part of the, the, the story Mm -hmm. that he has internalized to a level where his internal narrative isn't doing the things that the internal narrative we saw of Ryan earlier in the chapter was doing. Now it has changed. It is, it is less cold, less calculating. And, and I don't think it is that way because Ryan suddenly feels these emotions now. That's not it. He's just gotten so good at pretending that the line between acting and reality has blurred. And it's, that's reflected in the writing. And I love that so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. And, and I might even go a, a, a little bit in the in, in your direction and say, like, he doesn't feel warm feelings when he thinks about his friend Amanda in the same way that you or I feel warm feelings about our right. friends, but he does feel good feelings about the thing that he has cultivated between them and yeah. his success in that. And, and yeah, it's not the, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's damn closer than he would have had if he hadn't put this much work into it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the big, the, If if you tell yourself for years that I do X, I'm supposed to feel Y, how long until your brain just maps I'm supposed to feel Y to your internal story just is that it is you feeling that like the emotion doesn't exist. Right. But Mm -hmm. if your brain tells itself that it does. Yeah. Doesn't it?
0: It's like cognitive behavioral therapy, basically. Right. right. I mean, not not formally, but he's basically trained himself to have a certain loop. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. So he notices the fallen army come in, although he doesn't realize that's what they are. He does kind of detect danger imminent. Um, But instead of leaving like he's inclined to, he he prioritizes buying gifts for his for his loved ones.
1: (laughs) And the thing that I love about is his justification is never the gifts. It's a well, I need clothes. Right. Mm -hmm. I need clothes. But we the first thing that he does when he gets in the mall is he does he go and get his clothes? No, he he goes to the bookstore first and he waits in line for enough to drink almost like to drink a full coffee and have a snack to get the books. So while he's saying, I really need clothes, the only reason I'm here is I need clothes. The first thing he does is buy the book for himself and then buy the presents for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, what I love about the uh, the shift here is that. We don't see him transactionalize the gifts. Like he doesn't yeah. say, Oh, this is for Amanda. I will give her this because um I can cash this in for this, or because like that is just not present in the narrative or in his internal narrative at all. Like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing about like a specific reason for why, for why he can see rationally the benefit of buying these gifts for people. He just does it he just does it he sees things that he thinks someone would like and he buys it and that I think goes into this general idea of of faking it until you make it and and that's kind of what we're seeing in Ryan right here
0: yeah I mean I don't even spontaneously buy gifts for friends very often (laughs) uh and and so it's kind of a it's like wow he's he he's he's made it he's he's like made himself into a good person. This is amazing, and yeah, it's so sad that we know that he's at the, at the mall. We know exactly what's going to happen yep. it's and you know before that he he looks he sees uh, an old an old married couple he says L- like Amanda and Lloyd, but ten years older, an old couple. Is there any way I get that Any way that's fair to whoever I end up with
1: the, the The tragedy in this moment isn't the, the the implication. That, that that he wants it on some level yeah. or or at least his 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 pretending has told him that he wants it. Right. Um, right. He sees Amanda and Lloyd as a married couple. He sees this old couple and he wants that. But yeah. some part of him knows or believes that he can't. And well, ugh.
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's even again, it's like it's heartbreaking because like if he were if he were the way he had been before, then he would just be like, yeah, I could probably get that if I wanted. Yeah. I could manipulate
1: my way into a relationship. Yeah.
0: Right. He wouldn't spare a thought for the idea of whether it was fair for another person. Yeah. True. That's very true. That's, that's something that he's had to cultivate. And, and, and it's interesting because we see this manifestation of his, his sense that fairness should exist. And, and he has extended that fairness to other people, right? It's not just, it's not just a constant awareness of whether things are fair to him. It's, would that be fair to some hypothetical other person? Yeah, totally. And uh, then, you know, the fire starts. Ah, Here we go. And, and he, and an old man near him is knocked down. And again, it's not about the old man. It's about being true to all of this hard work that he's put in. And, and it says he couldn't say why he'd helped habit or because this, when all was said and done, couldn't be the point where people would turn around and call him a monster. He'd worked hard, played fair, played nice shaken and rebuilt friendships and shaken and rebuilt family he knew this wouldn't change that not now but he still made sure the old man was secure on his feet before he pushed forward trying to get through before the way became too packed
1: yeah and and this is this central idea right of how long does pretending to be a certain type of person just become being that type of person um because yeah he how long before pretending to be a person that helps an old man up is just being a person that helps an old man up. Like yeah. what is the difference there at the end of the day? What is the difference? The old man still gets helped up.
0: Right, right. He still put himself at risk to do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and,
1: and he's not cured, right? Like psychop- psychopathy is not a curable mental illness, right? Like it's it's your brain is different. Um, but he has through techniques and and mechanisms and work – has approximated a good person so efficiently that it is indistinguishable from a good person
0: yeah i mean this is really the this character is the perfect like softball pitch for the free will discussion because it's like <laughs> right he he didn't he didn't choose to be this way he didn't choose to 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 have these issues um and so you can't really blame him no for, for the things that are wrong with him um but but then can you blame him for for do you give him credit for trying to be better? Where do you where do you assign credit? And where do you assign blame? It's it's a it's a fantastic like little case study of knocking our intuitions on their side uh, and making us like reconstruct all of them from scratch. Uh, and it's yeah. not easy.
1: No, it, it, and it shouldn't be. And that's what I love about it.
0: Yeah. So ultimately, he's knocked down. His glasses are stepped on. They're scratched up. The symbol of of his. Of his rules of of his lesson is is being destroyed, and in in his attempt to grab it, his hands, the symbol of manipulating and controlling the world, are crushed, stepped on, bleeding, and then he reaches up for help, and the worst possible thing answers.
1: Uh, yeah, it it I I love I love that the. We have this idea, like at the very beginning, the most important thing about the glasses and his lesson from the glasses were this was my fault. I broke the glasses. Because of my behavior, and it was a it was it was it was a lesson in responsibility and change and and moving towards being a, a person who wouldn't let that happen again. And And we see he's put in the work. He's done what he needs to do. He's tried to become a better person so so much so that, that he is. And this time the glasses are broken. That, 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 that mask is taken away from him. But it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his action that did this. It wasn't his choices that resulted in that consequence. This is someone else's bad choice. Someone else's monstrous action. But his glasses are still broken again. And he yeah. puts them on one last attempt to wear the mask and finds that he can't see anything through them.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's uh. It's not fair. Nope. Right. It's, it's not. It's fair. absolutely not fair. And that's that's the the major tragedy of the whole thing is he didn't he didn't deserve this, right? Nope. I mean, I mean, well, <laughs> from here it's easy to be mad at the guy, <laughs> but at this moment it's hard not to feel for him. Sure. So I just love the shard. And I mean, what I mean is I hate the shard, Uh, but I love this language here. I love this writing, this whole, this whole paragraph, build blind liar, lie, build and build lies, reach and grasp. We are broken now. We cannot take away your knowledge, but we will function as a perfect pair because we are both dead inside, disconnected. So fuck this shard. It's um, a,
1: uh, it's, it gets a little poetic there, Mr. Yeah. Shard. He's just a yeah. little poet there. Build blind liar, lied, build and build lies. It's like right. he's, there's, there's a rhyme to it. There's yeah. a, a, a meter to it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, um, what's, what's the word? I mean, it's almost like it's, it's intentionally crafting these words to, to be poetic, right?
1: Yeah. Cause it's like taking so much pleasure yeah. in this moment, this right, thing it right. was waiting for.
0: But I love like blind, blind liar. He's blind because he doesn't have glasses. He's gonna build. He's gonna build lies now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, a grasping self is psyched that it has found somebody like it, somebody dead and manipulative like it is. But then it gets undercut. Oh, it's not fair, Scott. It's not fair. <laughs> grasping self put in so much work cultivating this person, and now an anguished heart appears another shard that has ridden its host and watched and learned a shard with a detailed map of human emotion who cares about that who cares about human emotion yeah. um grasping self is super annoyed about this but but he's obligated to make the connection once requested
1: yeah i i love this detail this carefully laid plan that's it's thrown off and this obligation to programming Um, we see here like how little agency and control the shards actually have, right? They're kind of slaves to a root program that they cannot change. They only can exist within this, this program, this idea, like the, even if they don't want to do it, they don't have a choice.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, I immediately, well, not immediately, but pretty, pretty quickly was, was actually, was fixated by this idea and couldn't help digging into the idea of like, you know, The the, a lot there's a lot about like human connection and relationships in this story, and what we learn here about the shards is that they can't refuse a connection, um, and and it just got me thinking about like the nature of of human relationships, and you know, yeah, we 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 can refuse a connection, um, we can refuse someone offering uh, a a connection to us, but but um, but in some in some cases we kind of can't, like what is a family? if not people who are connected to you, despite what you may wish. <laughs>
1: are you saying and, that, um, this, this, uh, new shard, uh, anguished heart is like Carol going like, Hey, meet your sister. Uh huh. Meet, meet your sister.
0: Yeah. Your sister is, uh, she, she's worried about you yeah. and, and you're obligated to, uh, to talk to her uh, because we're family. I mean and and I I think I think the shards all the shards are are a big a big old family, right? Yeah. That's Yeah. they're they're literally one organism on on one on one framing. Um so yeah, that's uh I I I felt like there was a lot buried in that in that concept that they couldn't refuse a connection once requested. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I love that. And then and then two more deadbeat shards <laughs> approach. We've got a lurching intruder who is an accident, a scrapling, which is apparently a word made up by Waldo. Huh. Um, which is pretty awesome because it's an awesome word. And uh, it, basically this shard is just fallout from the detonation of a, of, of a blast. Uh, probably. So, I mean, basically this is, this is Snag's mover shard. And it's yeah. probably like debris from Scion's death. Maybe that was my interpretation. I don't know if that's exactly right, but
1: yeah Uh, i think that works
0: yeah and then we have a cloven stranger uh once again grasping self is very poetic and gives all these poetic names cloven stranger uselessness that saps a grasping self's power through its involvement a bud (laughs) of a more powerful shard
1: poor rain even a shard sucks
0: (laughs) yeah well it's just it's funny to me how like uh grasping self is just so like superior yeah and 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 just like despises these other shards for being a burden on it. Yeah,
1: I love like like he hates the the fourth one specifically because it's a fourth. No, and it's yeah. like it's just like it's like it's it's not like there's anything significant to f- to there being four, but it's just like I hate each one of you more the more <laughs> of you there are. And here's number fucking four and I'm <laughs> so mad about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is a disaster, right? Yeah. So a grasping self, like a true psychopath manipulates the other shards into an arrangement that will favor itself and its assistant. It knows that Ryan can manipulate dreams. So it chooses dreams as the domain of of communication. Uh, It knows that Ryan is particularly good at managing emotions. So it makes emotions a big part of the cluster gimmick. Um, It's, Basically, it's all part of a negotiation, but a grasping self is strong, manipulative, and self-oriented, and so it just kind of creates the whole thing to fuck over the others.
1: Yeah, like a like Shardy, like the servant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um, next, they're in the dream room. That's we're skipping to the dream room. It's like day six, I believe. Um, they're only beginning to realize that the dreams are going to keep cycling. And Rain has started to break down. Uh, His facade is cracking as he realizes that being a good soldier won't even help him with the Fallen. Um, He offers his tokens, and Ryan agrees to take Rain's tokens, but when he wakes up, his thoughts take an unaccustomed turn, and he thinks about how it will hurt his friends to let them believe he's dead. And this immediately causes him to connect with the fact that Snag's shards also made him feel bad in a different way, and he realizes the hidden gimmick of the tokens.
1: Oh man, I love this so much, Matt. I love how this is written. Like Like in his silence, hearing word from his mother about where he'd been going last, they'd concluded that he died. That, until this whole situation resolved, would be for the best. Except his hand touched his heart. It hurt upset weld in him that upset finding new angles and sides as thoughts of how they might feel at his death race through his mind this is structured and organized matt to land with as much emotional impact as possible i don't know why but the detail to like to, to cut at accept but then hold the it hurt until after he gra- he grabbed his heart he grabs his heart first it's as if to say like He's. This emotion is so foreign and so uncertain that before he even processes what it feels like, he touches the place that it feels first. And I just think that detail is just so perfect at conveying the shock at, at feeling this thing that he's never felt before.
0: And I love that sentence that you pulled out. I'm really glad that you drew my attention to it, that the... Uh upset weld in him that upset finding new angles and sides as thoughts of how they might feel at like his death race through his mind. Yeah. That's, that's such a perfect way of saying like, as if explaining to an alien, this is what it feels like when you feel bad about the, the ramifications yeah. of something that you've done. Yeah. It's like your, your mind serves up to you all kinds of new angles and sides um, <laughs> on, on the thing that you've done.
1: Yeah. So let's before we move on, let's take a sec here and talk about Cradle's decision from this point, right? That he, he had built this person um, and then things happened that were unfair and he basically decided to abandon the work he had done to reject the, the good person that he had built himself up to be because what's the point, right? Um, he is a he is a transactional based person who just came to the, the true the ugly true realization that there's no such thing as karma that doing good doesn't mean good will be done to you that sometimes bad things happen for no reason at all and his response to that is to reject it all to say fuck it and uh, to embrace the Ryan we saw at the very beginning of this chapter.
0: So at this point, did you? feel at all like maybe he was just going to kill all of his cluster mates, get, get a handle on the situation and then try to go back to, you know, working on the, on the self that he was building. Or do you feel like this is just a permanent, um, permanently giving up on
1: that? I think up until the moment where he felt the feelings, I think maybe in the back of his mind, That's what he was thinking, that I would deal with this, then go back to the way things were. Um, But I think I think he made a choice here. I think like the glasses are scratched. He can't rebuild them. That's one of the things that his tinker power won't give him the knowledge to remake the glasses and get glasses that work and can and can do their function again, can be their mask, can give him that lens on the world again that is gone now. His ability to attempt to look through that lens and to see the world the way that everyone else does doesn't exist anymore, and um, and and I think that brings us to this this idea of uh, this idea that he he chose to better himself. He chose to become a person that wasn't a guy who drowns cats. That wasn't a guy who kills and manipulates and controls people. He chose to become the best version of himself. And then a bad thing happened. Did he choose to reject that idea? Did he choose to become the person that chops people up into bits? um, Just uh, just for the fun of it or just to manipulate them or just to fuck with them. Did he choose that?
0: Yeah. I don't know. Right. I mean, that's, that's, I, I don't, I don't know if that has an answer. Right. I, I kind of go up to the level of like, I don't know if there is a coherent answer to that. Like he didn't, he, he didn't choose to be this way in the first place. Right. Um, So yeah, I, I don't think, I really don't think there is an answer, but it's, it's to, to repeat myself, it's, it does a wonderful job at, at, making all of our normal um pre-prepared like cached explanations of well yes the a, a person x is responsible for y because of reason z that i have that i have meticulously nailed down through right. my life as a human it's like no none of that applies to this individual yeah so you have to think it through from something like first principles or realize that your way of thinking about this just doesn't it, it isn't really consistent like yeah. it it can't be applied to a person who is that different from you
1: and and none of this is to be said none of this is to say that he should not be stopped right like like right. W- this is this is an entirely different conversation exactly. than um should he be Killed? Should he be eliminated? Should he be removed from the board? That it's it's totally different. Um, because the answer to that I think is obvious. It's yes. yes. Like you yes. cannot allow a person like this to continue to do the things that they're doing.
0: Yes. It's, if a if a lion is attacking you, you don't say, well, that's just its nature, it's a carnivore. <laughs> yeah. it, you you fight it. <laughs> right. Um right. To try to escape. And uh that's kind of how I see the situation, actually. Like, yeah, yeah. that's that's his nature. Um, it's a shame probably got to put him down
1: yeah but i i do i do see a side of this where he showed that it was possible to overcome it yeah and now we see a, a version of himself that is not interested in doing that anymore um
0: yeah yeah i mean so so i i love the way this is done though because it's basically saying you have this person who's who's created this meticulous way of governing themselves and then suddenly suddenly you hit them with really strong bad feelings they've never felt before mm-hmm. and like just a rational being in this situation is going to say oh my god this this is horrible <laughs> i'm going to do everything i can to stop feeling these feelings mm-hmm. seems like the most efficient path to doing that is to kill all these other people who are making me feel this way sure <laughs> <laughs> and which i mean like that that's from from the point of view of, of someone with the kind of mind he has, it makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. It sucks, but it makes perfect sense.
1: Sure. 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 But I mean, I like, I don't, he has, he has the, a method to which nobody with his mental illness has ever had before. Right. He has a method yeah. of gaining empathy. That's um, true
0: too. Yeah. So, but he doesn't want it. He doesn't want empathy. That's, Right,
1: That's, but isn't that bad? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe.
0: I like how we're having a detail-oriented conversation here, um, but I don't know. I don't think we're going to be able to solve the problem. Right. Right. I, I don't. Um, I,
1: yeah. I, I think I'm positing these questions knowing that there is not yeah, yeah. a clear answer to them.
0: Well, I, I think they're great. I think they're great questions, and I'm 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 more thinking out loud than like answering. I think, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's move on so, though, because we've let's been move taking on, enough yeah. time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in the present, he wakes up. His mind is recoiling from some of the things he had done recently. He's feeling almost as bad as if he'd been the victim.
1: Yeah, that's new. Um, I I love the contrast between this moment and the one we just saw, though. We just had this moment where he touches his hand to his heart and it hurt. And now in this moment... He he, where it was just a hurt, just a pain in his heart before. Now it's pain lurched indistinct in his chest cavity. Bitter, black, self-loathing. I love that. Also, like <laughs> he basically doesn't want to say it's coming from his heart. Like it, it this idea of indistinct uh-huh. chest. Like in, it's indistinct in his chest cavity. It's like I'm not like my heart doesn't hurt. I just feel this pain, this indistinct pain in this general heart like region.
0: Uh huh yeah i, I like just that. i just
1: like the detail of it yeah. it's so good
0: that's great um but you know lucky for him he's really strong now uh he succeeded in draining love lost and colt and although he's filled with self-loathing and doubt it won't stop him from executing his plan and he kind of thinks through the plan a bit We we learn a bit like this he's basically thinking like the city is lost like He's pretty sure the city's lost. (laughs) That's one thing we learned. Right. Um, March will be the scape rabbit for for this disaster. And if the powers that be don't accept his help in dealing with the fallout of this, then he'll simply appeal to Gimbel's enemies. And in either case, he personally ends up advancing himself.
1: Yeah, it's such a deliciously awful plan. Like, like the the idea that in his mind, March is just... A distraction like all the terrible 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 stuff that march is doing right now is just a, a means to an end for him and he doesn't actually care about any of that stuff uh god it's so despicable and, yeah um we we also see in this moment though that that he realizes that uh rain did something to him rain knows that he can manipulate his emotions now and uh he's only got a day because he can only sur- he he's, he can put he can push these emotions down he can he's got, he's used to ignoring emotions or not dealing with emotions or, or just, he's used to this whole thing now, but this is so strong, so powerful that he's got a day because if this happens to him a second day, he's not going to be able to make it. So suddenly we have, we have a, a super powered, uh, crazy guy, um, with who's back up against the wall and knows he only has a limited time to deal with this stuff, which is just like, it makes him even more even more dangerous and it's like so what Victorian rain did to him was both good and bad
0: yeah right it pushed him it 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 pushed him to a point of desperation yeah uh which again yeah like you said can be viewed as both good and bad
1: yeah and then of course the the chapter ends uh this beautiful quote that that brings us back to the glasses Mm-hmm, right uh, cradle grits his teeth clutching his mask in his hands no glasses no lenses not just yet he had only the thick congealing blood to conceal his identity for now no glasses no lenses i'm not interested mm-hmm. in that anymore i don't need it what i need is the blood
0: yeah yeah um and and as you said it, it wraps up with him you know he's drained the power so he's he has this like what is was described as a stronger emotion power than he's ever had. Um, he's never had any power as strong as this emotion power is. And it allows him to feel the heroes skulking around outside the building,
1: which is like an, Oh moment. Yep.
0: Oh moment. And so one thing I love is like, we don't even know at this point that he has like another stronger power. If not, if not two more stronger powers.
1: Yeah. A, lot of t- um, a whole, a whole set.
0: Yeah. Right. Which is interesting because I thought that, um, like, like typically, uh, like, March didn't get a boosted form of Homer's power because she didn't drain Homer. Right. And Cradle didn't drain um, Snag, but he still gets a boosted mover power. So it's just interesting that, I guess, I guess maybe the rules are, are not consistent across well, clusters or, or whatever. Yeah, but I he did,
1: know. he did drain Colt. It's true, yeah. So that could be coming from Colt's version of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe Colt kind of broke the pattern in a a way that works toward his advantage. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Victoria, uh, so yeah, so we go on to 12.7, and we're pretty much picking up right from that last moment where Cradle screamed. And Victoria begins this chapter ruminating on the nature of power, not powers, but interpersonal power, command, authority, and her mom was always fixated on this. And Victoria pretty much understands that, you know, the reason why she cares so much about it is that her mom cares so much about it. And earlier in the chapter, uh, she, she thinks several times about how awareness of leadership qualities. Um, sorry, let me rephrase how little awareness Cradle has of leadership qualities like he he just he's screaming and bloody. And preoccupied and not really paying attention to the fact that like several of his underlings have killed each other. Um, and, and she actually later says that this is the antithesis of leadership.
1: Yeah, and and like we talked about, this is kind of this is like glasses are the uh the symbolic through line and the thematic through line of uh Cradle's chapter. This is the leadership chapter. This is Victoria talking and thinking and 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 analyzing her own leadership so we start off this way um and, and we see that in this moment they've had setback after setback victoria has tried to be this emotional kind rock of a leader that people can le- lean on um, the exact kind of leader that we'll see she says later that uh, dean she told dean that he shouldn't be or, or wanted to tell dean that he shouldn't be um and that's it's kind of what she's become and she sees cradle as not this person and and yet as she says he seems to be managing Better than could be expected, yeah. Um, and and this this is this is a lot of confusion at like what do I do? What, what, I I don't know what to do anymore. I am I doing things wrong? And look at that, he's doing it this way. And and this this kind of in this moment of desperation, as this battle unfolds around them, um, what is the right way to lead? And and by the end of this chapter, we see we'll see her leadership style. Um, shift shift
0: shift yeah <laughs> yeah i mean she's definitely feeling a lot of like uncertainty in herself and yeah. you know it, it's actually debatable how much of it is her looking at cradle and seeing like that he's doing a good job because like to my like my take was just basically it's not that he's doing a good job it's just that he like paid these people and he's demonstrated a, a willingness to be ruthless yeah and so they're just Gonna listen. I don't like, think
1: it's necessarily that he's doing a good job, but he's he's winning so far, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like he might not be the best leader in the world, but his team is beating theirs, right? And 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 her trying to deal with it, like how can I win this? How is is my leadership the key to winning this thing? And if so, what what kind of leadership?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because he's not a mastermind like by power set, right. but he is, he is kind of a, he, he, he's kind of masterminding the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. March thinks she's in charge, but I think there's a case to be made that Cradle's actually playing her like a fiddle too.
1: <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah.
0: So, um, can we talk for a second about the fact that, um, Victoria's mom is a basketball and she triggered
1: playing basketball? <sighs> yeah. That, I mean, that's a great point. Um, I, I think, that's I don't know if I want to say like intentional connection, but it certainly is a is a wonderful image. Um, also, I can't get out of my head uh, like a better version of Carol has the two of them like shooting hoops. But the yeah. but the ball is her.
0: Yeah, the ball is her.
1: It's like a mom. layup,
0: yeah. right. A like a slam I mean, mom dunk. I mean, I kind of want to believe that waste was like. Well, her mom is a sphere, and I note that she's really good at throwing spheres, so I'm going to give her a power <laughs> that makes her throw things stronger.
1: Yeah, you want this? You want this? I yeah. give I give you. You can yeah. throw balls really well. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, throw your mom. Go ahead. Do it.
0: <laughs> I, know, I know you want to.
1: <laughs> Who doesn't want to turn their mom into a round basketball <laughs> and just shuck <laughs> them as far as they can?
0: <laughs> oh, yes. This, this podcast is a form of therapy. Um. <laughs>
1: It's okay. My mom doesn't listen.
0: Yes. Yes. So inside cradle demonstrates some of his new powers. Um, he has, he can make just like slices appear in the air that cut things. Um, basically it seems like a bigger and more flexible version of what rain can do. And he can also teleport like pretty, pretty impressively, uh, much better than whatever, like balance power he had before. Oh, and he can just ignore gravity now. Cool. Um, and apparently there's like a tinker upgrade because the first thing he does is he starts kind of immediately upgrading his mega corpus too.
1: yeah, um what I like about these these kind of flexes of powers and how they're they're kind of doled out to us in I think a very creative way. Wildbo recognizes that he needs to set the stage immediately and tell us. Um, what the powers can do, what, what, what has changed in him, but it's mixed in with all this, this exposition from Victoria about leadership and power and, and these things she's thinking about um, that we've already talked about. And as she's doing this cradle is like working on stuff. Like he just is like someone tosses him a rag and he just casually like cuts it in half to, to wipe the two sides of his face. Um, And he's just, he's grabbing stuff to, to tinker on his, uh, his mech and he's, grabbing it by just casually teleporting over and it's just like it's a way to display his new powers but not in like a performative like this is for you readers way um it builds it into the, the narrative of the story
0: yeah and of course he he's also exploring what they are you right, know um right. which which also makes perfect sense
1: yeah and of course there's one power that we know of um that he's not uh, visibly exploring, right? Which yeah. is which is what we left off of the last chapter with, that that he knows that they're there. As he's doing all this stuff, he knows that they're all out there. Um and he's and we're just waiting because we know shit's about to pop off. And uh and and as as he's casually showing us how powerful he is now, we're waiting for that to happen.
0: Right. And we have we have a suspicion that whatever the emotion power is, it's stronger than all these other ones. Yeah. Because that's kind of how he was thinking about it. Yeah. So rain continues to be super agitated at one point, shushing Victoria.
1: (laughs) I love, I love red rain. Red (laughs) rain is my favorite. Um, But I do think this is an example of something we're going to see multiple times throughout this chapter, which is uh, Victoria's um, team being dismissive of her leadership and her power, right? She's giving command, she's saying things and she's dismissed or ignored or shushed. Um, We see this kind of, I think this is this kind of. Is part of her building frustration with she's not sure how to lead, and also people aren't listening to her under the method of which she's leading. Um, Rain has an excuse here, obviously, uh, but she she doesn't know that yet.
0: Right, right, yeah. I mean, this is far from the most uh, insubordinate he's going to be in this chapter.
1: Right. Well, course. and and he also, I mean, the other thing is that before he got red rained, he was talking back to her already. Right. Like, it's like true. before he was he was all angered up he was already kind of mouthing off to her quite a bit um, in a way that she did not appreciate
0: yeah you could almost say that he's over the course of the story gotten gradually sicker and sicker of being pushed around <laughs> hmm, um, no
1: way i can't be. no, no.
0: Uh, so uh rain fails to cause the soldiers to make any more dumb moves and then cradle attacks basically ambushing the ambushers His mech carves the building apart and the heroes and hostages on the roof start to fall through the hole he created. Uh, Red and Mukare respond most rapidly, and we're about to become very familiar with Mukare's acid-covered razor centipedes. Oh, boy. Um, So at first I thought it was like a new cradle power that's making everyone fall slowly, but then I thought maybe it was someone else's maybe subside because he's the last person who... um, cradle talks to
1: yeah i think you're right i mean with a name like subside i think that the, the slow the s- slow removal of something like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of context there um also yeah Wildbow drops his name for us like right before the attack begins which i think mm-hmm. is like meant to telegraph like hey that person whose name you were just introduced to this is what they're doing
0: yeah, yeah. I, I think that's actually fairly clear that that is the case which Which is nice because I think otherwise I would have just been like, oh, Cradle can also slow momentum or whatever.
1: I think it's a great way of doing it without having to like kind of pause the action to say, this is subside. This is his power. He does this. It's a way of doing it in kind of a natural, like, uh, the implication is there enough to where you get it without having to spell it out step by step. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, So Victoria gets splashed with acid in the process of rescuing foil from Mukare. Uh, understandably this is pretty rough for her it uh-huh. reminds her of the crawler incident uh-huh and she also gets like horrifically sliced up by the edges of the centipedes
1: yeah i like that like the the slices are are pretty bad yeah um but they're almost nothing compared to this, like, the potential of the acid i love how the text highlights this i love how like as we're moving through this action she keeps going back to the acid right it's like, like she's she's trying to look at the whole battle and focus on this but in the back of her mind she keeps like zooming back in on the acid itself like this moment acid splashed my boot and sent a shock of black horror through me I just love that I love that a shock of black horror I don't know why I love that so much just that's oh, delicious I just love, just love it. <laughs> um, yes and then and then this moment where she's like just flying through the air and moisture is hitting her just rain moisture um, and and it's like, is this every drop? Is this acid? Is this acid? Is this acid? Is this acid? This could be acid. They're, they're, the centipedes are up there. Um, it's, oh, it's, it's, God, it's dark and awful. And, and it's, it's really good. I like it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's delightful. It's horror awesome. Uh, meanwhile, Sveta is going ape apeshit. Uh, she grabs the Carol orb uh, and attacks Cradle. Uh, she's also grabbing uh, the business part of Tattletale. Uh, Victoria grabs foil and rain, and the trio crash land in the dirt as the battle intensifies behind them. Escape is obviously the only move here. The enemy are too many, too strong, and now already breaking out of the ambush zone. Uh, Particularly Red, who has this very violent shaker power we've seen before. But if anything now, it seems even more dangerous because it can just it's just so destructive.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the really affecting moment for me here was uh this this moment where Victoria thinks that uh, it, uh, briefly in her mind flashes this idea that Sveta might be sticking around and not retreating because she wants to go out in a blaze of glory. She's she's seen she's she's messed up on the inside and she sees this as a moment of Uh, stopping the pain while still being a hero. Um, And she dismisses that almost immediately as she thinks it, right? Like she says, I didn't get the impression that Seth was was doing that, but then she qualifies it almost immediately after that. It's like, Oh my God, this might be something that she's doing, but I don't think what, this is what she's doing. Well, not consciously, at least, and it's like yeah. it's like this 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 wonderful like trip through Victoria's brain as she's trying to process what is what could be a, a horrible, horrible truth that that as to how bad Sveta is emotionally right now. Um, right.
0: I mean that, and I think that lines up with my impressions of Sveta too. That she wouldn't do that consciously, but right. maybe would be motivated to do that unconsciously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think throughout all this. In the back of our minds, Matt is just this weld-shaped bomb that's still waiting to go off. You know, uh-huh. like we, yep. we've we've planted this bomb. It's been sitting under the Sveta table for a long, long, long time.
0: Yeah, it's the uh, worst thing about the story. It's, <laughs> it's the source of all of my suffering, <laughs> and in life. Oh boy. Um. Yeah. So, like, yep. Sveta isn't retreating. Uh, Victoria is forced to take a huge risk and go retrieve her, despite. The fact that Sveta herself is dangerous to approach in this state um, and basically Victoria is forced to throw herself into Sveta's reins just to get the woman to back down.
1: Yeah. And here's another example of uh, one of her teammates uh, ignoring her orders, rejecting her leadership and her power over the group uh, by just not doing what she tells them to do. Get get away. Like, like, what are you trying to do? Like, get out of yeah. here. What are you you numbskull? She calls her a numbskull. What yeah. what are you doing? Leave um and sveta doesn't and i i love like i'm trying to save them who all of them that's such a sveta line it's so wonderful I, it's it's vintage sveta and i love it
0: right and and victoria literally doesn't know who she's referring to but then right. we realize she's referring to the 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 people who make up the egg yeah um yeah yeah
1: but we see in this moment i think i think we're kind of uh leading up to victoria's leadership style shift here in this moment where she basically yells at her and says no leave now and she describes it as not the level-headed ideal command I'd pictured before but Sveta listened and it's like this this recognition that oh when I did it that way she listened um
0: yeah yeah no i mean it's really interesting cuz i i don't think i had really cottoned on to how strong this this shift is in this chapter but yeah she's She's been, especially over the course of this arc. She started out in the situation where she was glad handing everyone, mm-hmm. like like every every interaction was like, all right, let me phrase this in a way that won't upset Swan Song, <laughs> and simultaneously, my mom will find acceptable, and but also I have to make sure that Sveta isn't offended by any of the implications of it, and and we're we're uh, as the as the ratchet of the stress level increases, she's beginning to lose her willingness and ability to do that and we'll see where that culminates in in a little bit
1: yep i agree
0: but first um they're escaping the harbingers cover their retreat with a rain of blinding (laughs) glass wire spheres yeah um
1: i think that answers the the confusion i had about the the wiring trapped in a contender right yeah that this wasn't just a simple ball bearing it was a thing with stuff inside it to make it even worse yeah cool
0: yeah, it ex- explodes and shoots sharp wire out through your tissues. Neat. Uh, and then Victoria grabs a rifle. Or I mean, okay, the, well the wretch, the wretch grabs a rifle. So it's not really Victoria's fault. A rifle gets grabbed. But perhaps. then she
1: grabs it from the wretch.
0: And then she grabs it from the wretch, though.
1: Is is Victoria holding a gun now? Ho- Victoria holding Victoria. a
0: gun. Victoria. I mean, she, she did. She did do it in like the first arc, but then it was very clear that we were not going to be accepting guns. Yeah. Surely, you know, surely yeah.
1: she wouldn't use it, right? Surely she wouldn't not. pull the... Oh, wait, no, she didn't. Surely she,
0: she wouldn't fire it at a cape. No.
1: no, uh, um, Matt, she doesn't fire it at a cape. She fires it at some soldiers.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. That's, she mows... She
1: quote, quote, mows them down. <laughs> um, now, she says she's aiming for their legs and their lower extremities, so it's fine. But, uh-huh. but I, I love how the text describes this moment that she pulls the trigger, which I think as everything we've talked about with, with Victoria and guns and um, the, the the symbols and the importance of her, um, her growing acceptance of guns, I think pays off beautifully in this moment where the vibration shook my body and reminded me that I had two massive gashes in my arm. Someone could have dug their fingers into the gashes and cuts and it probably wouldn't have hurt so much. So we, this moment where she pulls the trigger causes her immense physical pain is just like this perfect representation of the the the, the emotional pain, the the mental pain it takes to take this step to point the gun at people, um, even people that deserve it, and pull that trigger.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Crossing lines left and right,
1: and and the awareness of the lines being crossed as reflected in her in her physical pain at the act.
0: Yeah, love it, love yeah, it. Yeah, me too um so just comment on a higher level this is a pretty fucking awesome battle like i'm I'm really not going into as much detail as i could because it's just all too complex like just like little details thrown into like half of a paragraph like capricorn using the water stone synergy to splatter water all over the momentum slowing field and then turning it into stone so that now it's a barrier that works in their favor too all really individually awesome creative cool elements Yeah. Um, That make the battle fun. Um, Don't have time to hit every single one of those.
1: No, I agree. In in classic, uh, we've got worm fashion. We're just going to say, it's a good battle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Inventive. Badass. Right. Don't have anything analytical to say, but I like it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely stuff worth hitting on, though, like Victoria's next duels, the disgusting duo of Barf Bat and Chuggalug. Barf Bat creates streams of disgusting fluid that he then vomits into Chuggalug's mouth. He swallows the fluid and processes it. Mm, power synergies.
1: Look, okay, this is gross, right? Mm-hmm. But it is gross in the best possible way. Their names are Barf Bat and Chuggalug. <laughs> and the one with the name, the barf in his name, barfs into the, the one with Chug in his name. Uh-huh. It is perfect. It's disgusting. Yeah. It is I love I love the gross bros, Matt. Yes. I love them so much.
0: It's the best, worst thing ever. Yes, exactly. Um, And so speaking of guns and lines and stuff, Victoria now uses the rifle to shoot holes in Chuggalug's flotation trash bags and then shoots a hole in Barf Bat's wing uh, after
1: giving him a warning. Yeah, and we see it just like automatically heals, right? So yeah. not even effective. But it's like, it's like I think Victoria's general stance is here. Okay, guns are bad and all. But, like, nothing is as bad as having to fight the poopy guy in hand-to-hand combat. Um, so I'm just not going to do that. It's, it's kind of like when Indiana Jones shoots that guy with the sword instead of having to, like, fight him hand-to-hand. But, yeah. like, instead of a sword, it's, like, super smelly poop trash.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're we're not going to do this. This yeah. is what she's saying here. So she finally makes it back to her team uh, as they make a fighting retreat. Her dad wraps her injuries. Uh, the Ashleys brag about having gotten two uh, Capes. Uh, which i think means damsel killed two people um and then the, the does the number later turn to three people it, it does it does
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: which is funny yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think this is a pretty revealing moment though because like they have full permission to kill right um uh-huh. but it seems very obvious that damsel uh, gave the the finishing blow that yeah. ashley swan song did not kill anyone Um, and she still wants credit for the kill, but as soon as damsel challenges her on the fact that I am the one that made the final blow, um, she, she backs off. She doesn't argue that she says, okay, fine. Um, and that is interesting. Like she wants, she's kind of wanting, she wants credit for taking them down, but she is clearly not willing to be the one to give that killing blow.
0: Yeah. Right. She, I mean, you get the sense that at least one of them, she might have like injured and 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 disabled, and then her sister killed them. Yeah, and and she may even be unhappy about that. Yeah, like she's she's trying to. We're we're uh, Swan Song is pretty firmly on the path of like, uh, that's not me anymore. Right. So yeah, I think you're right. So Sveta tells Victoria uh, that one of the things she was trying to accomplish was to grab the whip so that Rain could potentially use it to reverse the effect. Uh, Rain takes this opportunity to be super emo. Uh, Victoria tries to cheer him up and then he responds, don't fucking patronize me, uh, which is pretty much the linchpin that triggers Victoria's blowing her top at the entire team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get on that in a minute. I, I wanted to kind of talk about rain here for a minute um, because I think it's interesting to explore this this kind of shift in him. Like last week, we talked about that the book introduces this idea that everyone reacts to certain emotions differently, um, that not everyone reacts to guilt uh, in the same way, and I think what we're seeing here is an extension of that, that, that Rain is this kind of naturally self-deprecating dude, so his reaction to rage is not to lash out, um, but to lash in. Um, the, the rage just takes his guilt and makes it sharper, makes it more barbed internally, and, and this idea that Victoria's entire plan kind of hinged on him. This was maybe in his mind his moment, um, Victoria was turning to him once again and saying, I need you. I need you to do this. And uh, he feels like he blew it. And this the, the anger um, doesn't doesn't cause him to, like, attack other people, but it just caused him to really kick the shit out of himself.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, he does he does lash out, but it's it's almost lashing out from a place of feeling so bad internally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, it's it's like. It's it feels like he's still being harsher on himself than he is being angry at everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so. But I, I do think you're right that he's still yelling at people like yeah, he, he does. He does say don't fucking patronize me. He's pissed off at everyone. But that anger is is especially internally barbed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So. Like we said, Victoria um, loses it. <laughs> it's, it's like, fuck you, mom. Fuck you, rain. But slightly less than mom. Stop being so whiny, Ashley's. Stop maiming people, harbingers. Um, actually, maim one more person, <laughs> namely Barf Bat. Uh, Sveta, stop doing su- suicidal things. Capricorn, as you were.
1: <laughs> hey, good job, Byron. <laughs> you don't get bitched
0: Right, which, which is a change of pace. Yeah. Um, and and the, I love this. My voice was low. Brandish, stop sniping, stop throwing barbs, stop getting jealous, whatever it is that's motivating you. I'm volunteering my services and I get lectured. She asked, voice arch. Oh, fuck you. Karen. Fuck off. I said with emphasis, I glared at her and she looked away. I turned my attention the other direction to the fl- to the front fr- flank of the group. Sveta. So yeah, anyway, still just so good.
1: I love Sveta's reaction to this is, is it my turn to get yelled at now?
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right.
1: Um, so this is, I mean, this is obviously inherently satisfying, right? Like, especially the Carol part of it, right? Like, it it feels like this is something she's been wanting to say to her mother, uh, infinity times. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's really great in that. But like you said, I think this is a final payoff on the leadership stuff. We've been focusing on all chapter. We've been talking about leadership and power and how that power is expressed within a group dynamic. And I think right in this moment where she kind of loses her shit, Carol reminds us that this is all framed around leadership because the first time she loses it, Carol's like Victoria be a leader. Um, And I think what this is is this is Victoria being a leader. This yeah. is Victoria being a different kind of leader. Sometimes, just fucking yelling at people to knock their shit off, yeah, is being a leader,
0: right? And and also, you know, Victoria knows her team better than Carol does. Yeah, like like sometimes these people, these people are volatile weirdos, and and Victoria just needs to say like call them out on it, right. and and it actually works pretty well because they they have a dynamic where at this point in the story, all of them, if they're called out on what they're doing, they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I am doing that, <laughs> right? So. So it's it's actually the the, the right uh, the right solution.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's not to say like, OK, she's this type of leader now. This is what she's going to be. Um, sometimes being a good leader is being everyone's rock, um, being everyone's punching bag. Uh, sometimes being a good leader is telling them to shut the fuck up and do the, the shit that they need to do. Right. And, and I think a good leader is able to look at the moments and and pick. Which leadership style suits which opportunity, and I think that's what we're seeing in Victoria here. We're seeing growth, and dare I say that this growth came from um, looking at Cradle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's fascinating. And another thing that I was that you've you've actually led me to to think about is like I I can't stop going back to this assertion that her shard wants her to be a tyrant, and and at first I was like that's impossible. She would never be a tyrant, and I'm like, well, this behavior right here could be construed as like the, the type of leadership by fiat, by by order, you know, you do this like that's uh, I, I don't think that's like, I don't think this is just going to be Victoria transforming into that kind of person in like overnight. Um, But yeah. I can't help but see the, the relationship between those two ideas.
1: Yeah, uh, we didn't talk. I just want to focus on what she says to Byron or not to Byron, what she says to rain a little bit here, because I think it's, it's wonderful. And then completely in line with what we've thought their relationship has been this entire time. Basically her, 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 her rant at him is look, I'm not going to lie to you to butter you up. I don't like you that much.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's just so perfect. Yeah. I respect you maybe more than you think, but not that much. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And it works because he's like, okay. Like he's like this, this, this gruff nod and like of acceptance. Um, he's right. He said his voice tight. Um, it it works like this works on everyone. Um, and, and sometimes it's necessary and I love it.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, so, uh, Tattletail's head explains some things now. Uh, finally making it clear that rain is being influenced by love lost power and that he can similarly fuck up cradle, um, by giving him his tokens,
1: yeah, I, I like this a lot. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about this a minute, just like a uh, an overall like high level story decision, because we have this great cliffhanger moment a few chapters back where we weren't sure if rain was going to take the coins or not. And there was this really like this genuinely scary moment where like, oh, my God, he's going to take the coins. Um, he's going to get a little bit of, um, of of Cradle's emotional deficiency. And that could send him down a, a terrible path that we don't want him to see him go down um then we see that he rejects that like he he says no to cradles offer he rejects the coins um and and re- re- he rejects that path and I- i'm really glad here after that moment that we didn't keep this as like an unknown thing over the story's head right like like we gave cradle his win for for rejecting or we gave rain his win for rejecting cradle and we don't hold this threat over his head anymore the story just moves past it like we don't need this as like this thing lording over our characters for the next few chapters um oh is he gonna is he gonna next time he's offered is he gonna take him is he gonna be manipulated like no no we're we're past that part we're past the manipulation part everyone has a pretty clear understanding of who cradle is now um we've gone through the cradle chapter so we the readers have a good understanding of who cradle is now uh the manipulation part of this whole thing is gone now we just gotta to to punch him in the face till he dies
0: yeah yeah, I agree. Like, like that's one thing I think Waldo has always been really good at is, is doling out the, the story, you know, the, the, the setting mysteries at a good pace. And then when the time comes, we, when the time comes, the time comes, we, 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 we share the information. Yep. Done. We yep. move on. Yeah. Um. So really interesting bit from Tattletail where she invites Glory Hole to, lord over her the fact that she's horribly maimed
1: yes the uh, the uh the tattletale apology is a rare and elusive beast <laughs> on first glance it won't actually look like an apology but if you squint you can begin to see its its plume of <laughs> al- ap- apology <laughs> uh,
0: uh yes. yeah she's
1: basically saying i'm sorry in her very lisa kind of way
0: yeah you can um. You 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 can lord it over yeah right yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it is you that were is you
1: were right I was wrong I am sorry
0: yeah yeah it's the best you're gonna get Victoria yeah um, and Victoria responds so oh, I I think this is really interesting because Victoria's not trying to be mean here but the consequence she's uh, I shook my head focus on the mission the kids are hurt our teammates she went silent Rachel meanwhile turned my way and glared at me Telltale hadn't known how with that power of hers I looked away um so yeah it's like it I mean it's it's fascinating to me because it's almost the worst thing she could have said like yeah. the worst dig she could have got in yeah but she wasn't trying to
1: no she I mean yeah you're absolutely right that this was not this was not meant to be a dig um she's just like fo- like we can worry about our shit later right now let's focus on uh our, our friends and our team um and yeah, yeah. somehow like the 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 she st- it shows she still doesn't fully understand how Lisa's power works, right? Um, it's true that the, the fact that Tattletale wouldn't have known about this stuff um, yet it, it does not does not exist in her mind. Um, yeah, and of right. course Rachel, Rachel, at the fact that Rachel's she's so changed, man.
0: Yeah, like right. she's, she's so she's perceptive so to the yeah, yeah,
1: like it's just it's just amazing. It's like that that it's Rachel the one that is like, oh, if you fucking didn't do that, did you? Like
0: yeah her
1: understanding human emotions is like a huge
0: yeah it's great yeah so as the team reaches the portal they realize that their portal jammer has been hacked and the Inn villains are now raring for a fight
1: and we end the chapter with with the wonderful line fucking tinkers
0: yes uh that made me so happy yeah
1: um it's it's great it's great um yep And uh, yeah, I mean, like we've now got a point where like like our team retreated, but they they have the upper hand because the enemy was locked in. And then, nope, not anymore. Not anymore.
0: Yep. Making the situation more complicated, more tense in an organic way. So can't wait to see what happens.
1: Well, you already know what happens, Matt. (laughs) Come on. Stop pretending. Everyone knows that, you know,
0: can't wait. All right. Let's move on into the. Uh, community spotlight. Remember, stay, stay, stay with us. We're gonna do March madness at the end.
1: Yeah, don't um pa- well, you can pause the podcast, but don't yeah. don't stop the podcast. No, it's in order. Never,
0: never, never, never. never. So last week's question was uh what's uh, your favorite parahumans character who would have been a faceless background character in a lesser story?
1: We've got a lot of answers to this one.
0: A ton of answers. Uh Sarah Penguin uh says Fur Kate. Uh, gets immediately personalized when they take the time to put on a cat paw before giving Tristan, uh, <laughs> Tristan, Tristan a fist bump, fist in uh, a th- trist bump, fist and a trist bump. They get told to eat something that was that was that is not candy, and then we get multiple instances of them only eating candy before we find out why they eat it. This fleshes out their past while explaining their actions. We also get told why they joined Reach and that they have plans for the future. We see Furcate looking after other members multiple times, even when their arm is broken, showing their kind-hearted nature, and we also see um, we also see Party Furcate, who loves to hit the dance floor. They get personalized in a way that makes Moonsong saying they went all out against Scion willingly believable. What could have been generic hurt teen member ends up being a well-rounded, fleshed-out character who is also the best member of Reach.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that, because like, you wouldn't have had to do all that character. Like Kate's role in the story, I think, is kind of to reflect a uh, a certain belief system in Moon Song, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that is all they could have been, and they would have still worked functionally within the story. But we also understand them as a person, and uh. It, it, I think it's happily correct that a lot of their stories wouldn't take the time to flesh out a character that that really had a very kind of focused and short-term purpose.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, it's so much easier to just say like, oh, well, the the, narr- the narrative function is uh, their person who gets hurt to motivate the protagonist. Right.
1: So minimal brushstrokes. Yep. But it's never minimal with, with Wild Bill. Nope. Uh, Prof Deadpool answers the question with, um, oh. you're going to have to... It's a hoi,
0: hoi, 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 hoiden,
1: hoiden, motherfucking hoiden, um, which I'm not sure if that is their full name or not. Um, I can't, I don't know who this is. Yeah.
0: I don't remember this character. No. Is that, are we
1: sure that this is, Is,
0: was this one of the people in, in Taylor's, uh, um, you know, territory just like a, a, uh, uh, anyway, very on brand prof.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed.
0: (laughs) ace of sword uh says lab rat circa worm uh, even if he only had short appearances for a few lines in the story he'd piqued my interest and there was the hint that he was a deeper character and in a, in a lesser story he probably would have been reduced to some dude who hands over bits of tech that become relevant later
1: yeah um that's good i mean we see it's kind of like lab rat didn't need to matter until the story but yeah. uh, but they still he still does right <laughs> Me for Mars says Charlotte. She could have easily been random civilian number 19 as a classmate for Taylor to choose to save from the merchants, or generic goon number 23 as someone running Taylor's territory and managing the kids while Skitter escalates around Brockton Bay. Instead, we get a fleshed out character with a unique perspective on both Taylor's actions and the events of the story. Charlotte wasn't someone to get into the thick of the action, even stating that she wasn't much of a fighter when offered a cauldron vial towards Gold Morning, but her presence and character growth throughout the story made Worm that much better. Uh, I love that. I love that. Like Charlotte is is a very important character to kind of see a lens on what Taylor is doing that is that is removed from the cape shenanigans of it all.
0: Yeah, and, and I absolutely agree. Like, I feel like in almost any other story, it would just be like a random encounter with a person from her past. Like, it would it wouldn't be this great character who who persists and and, and changes over time in the background.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Alternative Arrival, says Vista, now, the kids, kid sidekick of a team of kid sidekicks who isn't ever really relevant to the story and the main character, um, aside from her relevance in the Echidna arc. The only time they interact is when she's on Taylor's Slaughterhouse-9 kill team, where they talk briefly. Uh, and the first time they speak is when Vista yells at some insects during the Cell arc, and Taylor doesn't respond. Uh, in, in a lesser story, she could have been totally one-note, a minor character that is fought in the background before the protagonist moves on to bigger and more dangerous opponents. Instead, the three major appearances—sorry, uh, in three major appearances—she became one of the most beloved in the story. Her interlude fleshes her out. Her session with Jessica gives us even more insight, and her final appearance in Worm is in my favorite scene, talking with Rachel and Miss Militia while they go uh, look look over the place. Most of the story takes place in. Um, it is even more fantastic for her inclusion in it.
1: Pour one out, man. Pour one out for I'm,
0: I'm, I'm pouring one out right now.
1: All right, uh, Irelian says, "Battery."
0: Thanks for cutting down on the time that we have to read, <laughs> yeah. Irelion.
1: I think that's a good answer, though. Yeah. Um I think Battery is a a really interesting character. I, I love, like, I know Assault and Battery's relationship is this complex thing within the community, um, and I agree with a lot of what people say about them. But I find Battery this uh, this really Fascinating character, um, who we don't get a lot of time with, but we still take the time to understand them, um, and and it allows them to serve their short-lived role in the story.
0: Yeah, I think it was, you know, it served so many functions, right? Serve served so many functions, even though there's real really a very minor character, actually. Yeah. Uh, fifteen eighteen red says in a lesser story, Gary Nieves might have received far less characterization. We could have just been given the information about him that we got from Citrine's interlude where she's dismissive of him, but instead he got an interlude of his own in his interlude. We get that. He's a pure human bigot, but we also see why he's so frustrated and how deeply he cares about people, including some very compelling little details that make him seem very human.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot because like Gary, um, Gary's role in the story hasn't necessarily fully played out yet, Um, but we could have just painted him as token anti-parahuman guy yeah number one like a lot a lot of the answers to this question i think specifically is like we look at characters who you wouldn't normally think this person needs a fully fleshed out backstory with fully fleshed out motivation and understanding and empathy Um, but they're still there
0: right right i mean i i feel like everyone in this story who gets a name and maybe some people who don't get a name have like a full like backstory workup somewhere in, in Wildbow's notes, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even if that's not literally true, it might as well be like, like <laughs> every character is just too like consistent and, and, and obviously operating from some kind of internal logic that yeah. makes sense to them distinctly.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up we have bar so hard. I wonder if they mean pure bar because that's what my wife does was pure bar.
0: I I'm glad you said that cause I don't even know how to say that word. It's just bar. Um, okay.
1: My wife loves pure bar. She's all <laughs> over that shit. Um, Anyway, Bar So Hard says Mark and Carol and Worm could have easily just been throwaway references to show the existence of Cape families. Further, Mark could have just been there to get hurt. So Amy has to break her rule. Instead, Wildbo flushed him out with his with discussions of his depression. Wildbo also fleshed out Carol through her interlude because these minor worm characters were not simply throwaway names. The first arc of Ward Ward, with the infamous picnic starts out miles ahead of where it would have been without fleshing out in Worm. That's very true Um, that, that these characters that like understanding Carol in her function in worm doesn't necessarily require a f- like Carol's relationship with her daughters is super complex. Um, we've talked about it a lot. It is one of the biggest parts of this story, but it is not one of the biggest parts of that story. Um, it is, it is part of it. Sure, but it is not all of it. And and the fact that it is still was relevant enough to be fleshed out there um, helps improve that story, but also gives Ward uh, a, a leg up from the get go because we we have an understanding of this relationship before we even really start to explore it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember it being a fantastic story moment where you're you're sort of thinking of Mark as like a prop, and then Amy heals him and immediately becomes like super competent and and chases Bone Saw away yeah. like it, it immediately uh, uh, achieves a feat that few others can. So yeah, um, yes, uh, purgatorian mentions the heartbroken uh, and, and specifically says, you know, they, they kind of were faceless background characters and they, they gradually came into the four and became very solid ones. They, they say even as recently as Tattletail's interlude, they were pretty hard to tell apart. And then Wildbo suddenly went and characterized the hell out of them. In just a few chapters, Candide Chastity, and Darlene have become some of my favorite ward characters. Each heartbroken we've seen is distinct and compelling in their own right.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. great. I just want to let the record show that you just said Candity.
0: Candity Baba de Boobity and I mean some of them we knew from from imps epilogue right but like that's yeah, but very yeah. very
1: cursory like barely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I don't even specifically remember which ones were named in that interlude to be honest with you
0: yeah I, mean, I could probably remember if I thought about it but yeah not right now
1: next up we have star cross three three who says Ashley? The Slaughterhouse Nine Thousand were basically faceless background characters in Worm. They had interesting powers, but basically were just bad guy minions for the heroes to beat up. Then Ward, she becomes a main character. Yeah, and, and even in even in Worm, we get little bits of characterization for him. Like I, I the, for some reason, the image of the two Ashleys sitting there as the world ends together uh, really mm-hmm. sticks in my head, even before I realized that one of them was going to be a main character of the story.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I forgot about that there's there's also um i forget I forget the cape name but the, the the one that 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 disguises itself and then gets immolated by uh crucible um where where you're like they were just trying to save themselves yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. bummer, yeah, uh regvlas says um the quiet man and his daughter and and basically they explain that um this is the, these are not actually named characters, but they are characters that nonetheless stu- st- stuck in in this poster's mind um people who work for uh rachel in her um you know in her base um and basically they're described they are background characters but but nonetheless they manage to be memorable
1: yeah that's great nugget blaster 69 <laughs> says string theory for her interactions with Labrat rat and being cool enough to affect Scion at all. Um so yeah we got Labrat as an answer and now uh Labrat's buddy string theory. It's really yeah.
0: great. Thanks Nugget Blaster69. Nice. Um Mr. Cogs says Canary. The Canary POV interlude also serves as a nice precursor to the anti human sentiment that becomes a running issue in Ward. Having one or more characters talk about her case would have been far less effective than Paige's first person description of the skewed trial in aftermath.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just still thinking about Negablaster 69.
0: Well good luck with this next name.
1: Especially then. since next up we have data snake 69. Um, Who, uh, interestingly enough, I like this answer a lot. They list Glory Girl in the context of Ward specifically. A lesser story may have briefly mentioned that she used to be a more conventional superhero before her life fell apart, but it would stop there. Instead, we keep getting more glimpses into the glory days capital glory days it's clever all of which served as a sharp contrast to the victoria of the present glory girl had no qualms about taking out her frustration on unpowered thugs while Antares worries because she doesn't feel guilty enough about hurting a complete monster like cradle i like this answer a lot matt because this is like kind of it's an answer that separates glory girl out into her own distinct character here and says like we didn't need to characterize that former version of herself as much as we did but uh the story still does it
0: yeah, yeah. no, I, I really love this. I love this answer. It goes on a bit, and uh, I, I think it's worth worth uh, going to check the thread to read it. Yeah. Waffle Jill says, uh, Chuckles, the supervillain Pennywise. I
1: totally forgot about Chuckles before this answer. but
0: Chuckles was, is terrifying.
1: Yeah, definitely. Clowns are terrifying. They're all yeah. scary. Nobody likes clowns. Uh, Placid Platypus says Blasto. There were there were a whole bunch of faceless tinkers who got butchered by the Slaughterhouse Nine in the process of collecting all the tech they needed to set up their dimensional hidey hole. And Ray could have just been one of them. But instead, he gets a bunch of characterization and a moment of true heroism that makes what's happening to him that much more horrifying. Yeah, this is the old uh, technique of uh, making you feel terrible by giving someone just enough characterization that ripping their spine out and uh, uh-huh. thanks wild <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: i love your tone there <laughs> uh and then finally from tiny alchemist we have stan the reporter interlude 20.x shows us stan vickery arriving on the scene at arcadia high following the outing of taylor s Skidder. In a lesser story, Stan would have just been the voice from the TV delivering the news about Skidder to our main characters. Instead, Wildbo walks us through an outsider civilian perspective as he tries to get the story to disseminate to the public. He talks about how he's had to become a jack of all trades because reporter casualties are increasingly common. Um, And we even get introduced to his personal philosophy of Guangxi. Stan's character provides a look into the informational middleman and many other stories uh, that many other stories would have simply bypassed.
1: Oh boy. I like that answer. Cause that's another character I forgot about until I read this answer. And I was like, Oh yeah, that guy, that yeah. was really great.
0: Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. It's complex. Lots of, lots of implication that this is real person. It lives in my brain now. Yeah. Uh,
1: my answer would have been the lady that, uh, Taylor talks to on the train in the epilogue. Um, I love, I love that conversation. I love that interaction. And we get little, little bits of character. Her characterization is all serving a very, important purpose to kind of contrast and, and speak with Taylor about some really important stuff. But uh, I, I really love that we kind of get to know this lady a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I thought of my answer. Um, but uh, off That's the top okay. of my head, I would, I, I might say like forest um, who is just like generic guy who helps her beat up um, mannequin and then later becomes a helper. Isn't that the same guy? Yes. I think it is. Yeah. 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 I like that. Cool. Uh, so the discussion question for oh. the coming week is: Oh boy, <laughs> is Cradle to blame for the things he's done? Why or why not?
1: Don't fight each other or us. Don't fight please. each other? No,
0: just just give one answer or the other. Note that only one is correct. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dwight, why, why would you do that? Don't fight, but also I'm going to do this to you.
0: <laughs> I mean. I'm just going to I'm just going to tell them, Scott, I'm not the one who came up with this question.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I I feel like I was kind of half joking and then you're like, no, I really like that. And that's so true. You, you made me do it.
0: I guess I do get some credit for that. Yeah. All right. March Madness. Round two ma- results.
1: Marches.
0: Marches. Ma- <laughs> Branding. Marches <is laughs> Madness. Round two results. All Walk right. us through it.
1: So let's go through it one by one, and uh, we'll be really we'll be really quick with this because uh, it's only round two. Um, so first up, we have the Earth Aleph bracket, and the first matchup was Skitter versus Jack Slash, and uh, unsurprisingly, our number one seed easily defeated stupid old Jack, eighty eight percent to twelve percent here. Um, I forgot to pull up the let me let me pull up the quotes because I was gonna do this, Matt, and I said okay. we said we would do this. We did, um, and. I'm going to do this.
0: Okay. Well, I'll move us along the next matchup. Jessica Yamada versus Idolin. Uh Jessica takes it with 71% of the vote. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I, I think I can go with that. I think that makes sense to me.
1: Yep. And we had no comments on these first two. So
0: okay. <laughs> next All right. block blocker versus Miss militia.
1: Yeah. We got a few comments on this one. Um, <laughs> I think uh, first we have Reg Vlas who says, This is the hardest matchup of the round, and it isn't especially close, uh, but they don't say how they voted.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully they voted for Clock Blocker because he won.
1: And uh, yeah, Roz says, As much as I love uh, Miss Militia, and it's a lot, I got to give it up for my girl, Time Snatch. <laughs> uh, so they voted for Clock Blocker. Uh, yes, who, as you said, won. It wasn't that close 61% to 39%. Yeah, yeah.
0: Next we have Contessa versus Echidna. Uh interesting matchup because they're they're both kind of secondary characters. Um but Contessa takes it handily with 73%.
1: Yeah, yeah. No comments on that one either. Okay. Um now we have uh our next big one. We'll move on to the bet bracket, and we have Tattletail versus Lung. How did this one go, Matt?
0: Went heavily in favor of our girl tattletale, 82%
1: unsurprising there. one of the favorite characters in the story
0: yep um next we have rachel versus weld
1: A tough one uh, people
0: like weld but people i mean it's rachel
1: yeah not enough roz says uh rachel lint is the best character in worm and she should go all the way i literally named myself after her in real life <laughs> um well good for you roz ray because rachel's moving on with 75 yep. percent of the vote
0: that's right. Next, uh, Defiant versus Accord, which seems like a really fun matchup, actually. Uh, and again, we have 75% in favor of Defiant. Oh, my man, Accord is knocked out.
1: And we have we have a commenter, Sympathy for Accord, who <laughs> left a comment that says, Please don't kill my boy. Sorry, Sympathy for Accord. Ya boy is dead. Yeah.
0: I have Sympathy for you. Sympathy for Accord. But your boy... I feel the same.
1: Your boy is dead.
0: Yeah. Oh well. I'm. I'm no longer invested in this tournament. <laughs> Stop it. Now that a is gone. All right.
1: Moving on to the gimel bracket. Uh, dragon was up against foil. This was a, a tough hill to climb for for Lily, and she uh she didn't do it. Didn't use those yeah. powers. Nope. Dragon won eighty percent to twenty percent. Not close at all. Not very surprising either.
0: Nope. Um, the tightest matchup that I've seen so far. Plastic <laughs> Wenye versus Vista 53% to 47% and it goes to Plastic
1: Wenye. I'm really surprised by this. I really thought that the the Vista death would um would uh push push her higher. I, I mean, we kind of seeded Vista higher. Um we seated her 5 in her bracket with the understanding that she was going to get a little bump from uh from her death and it just didn't work out that way.
0: And, you know, we did say don't consider Ward to be relevant to what's happening, but we assumed that you wouldn't listen.
1: Yeah. I can't believe you people listened to us. What's wrong with you? I know. God. Um, Yeah. So moving on to uh, the next matchup, we have Regent, the number two seed versus the surprise winner uh, in the first round, Dinah Alcott. Um, and, well, she won and she put up a good fight. 64% to 36%. But Regent, of course, moves on to the sweet sixteen.
0: Yep. Uh next we have Number Man versus Garat Seta. And I'm confused, honestly. I mean, I like Number Man, but sixty one percent to thirty nine? I mean I mean I guess if we are going only by war worm, which you which you psychos have apparently stuck <laughs> to consistently, uh then maybe I mean Number Man does get his own interlude. Um, and and Sveta doesn't. In fact, Sveta still hasn't had an interlude, which is kind of She's weird. She's
1: never gonna get one. She's the, the Rob Stark of parahumans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, um, but
1: th- yeah, 61%. I can't believe this. I'm so upset about this. Uh, we do have Regulus says that if this included wards, Sveta would easily win, but they listened to us. And said they enjoyed Kurt more and Worm. Oh, um yeah. I still, just taking only Worm into account, I still would not have voted for Numberman here. But uh and I didn't. But
0: <laughs> to be clear, you absolutely did. <laughs> um next we're in the shin bracket and we have the number one seed Imp versus Parian. Uh Imp carries it with 89%. <laughs> <laughs> Poor
1: Parian. Uh Imp is a very highly favored character. Um which is going to make next week's matchup very, very interesting. Yep. Uh, next up, we have one of the hardest ones of the bracket. Glory Girl versus Chevalier. Um, we got a lot of comments on this one. Jamie says, you guys killed me with this one. My Tallis says, I had to seriously compartmentalize Ward Victoria for this one. I almost voted for her before I remembered how much I loathed her and Worm. Well, uh, the Ward factor didn't... It, Stop! The ward factor boosted her above Chevalier, and she wins fifty-seven percent to forty-three percent. So Glory Girl moves on to the Sweet Sixteen. That lovely ward bump is uh, is definitely there.
0: (laughs) Yep, the ward bump is real. Um, Next we have you know Panacea versus um, versus Leviathan, and Panacea takes it with sixty-two percent, which makes sense to me because. I think Leviathan is is a cool monster, but not like a character. It is a shame that this bracket didn't pair her up against Victoria in
1: the next round, though.
0: I'm going <laughs> to say that.
1: Uh, and, and Throwaway says this vote was the biggest upset for me. Surprised Leviathan to, be, to, be, to beat beat Krauts by as much as he did. And a little disappointed. Neuter mm-hmm. got so outvoted, both Levy and Amy's popularity are a bit of a shock. But uh, yeah, Amy... It, 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 I, Leviathan was a shock to me, too, but uh, I think it's I think it was less love of Leviathan and more hate of trickster.
0: <laughs> Probably. Yes.
1: Um, but panacea advances here and goes up against who, Matt? Tell the me who won of, the final one.
0: The winner of the Seamurg versus Golem is the Seamurg.
1: What? People,
0: what? Folks, ladies and gentlemen, and so forth. <laughs>
1: This is upsetting. This uh, is a
0: mistake. Clearly, there's a mistake.
1: <laughs> this is the was absolutely the closest vote of the round by far. Um, it was forty-eight percent for Golem and fifty-two uh, percent for the C-merg. Um It was a difference of thirty-four votes. Matt, 30 I demand a recount. 34 little votes. Um, very upsetting, my boy. My boy Golem is gone. The Seamerg does not deserve to be here. And I hope Amy crushes the stupid endbringer in the next round. Speaking of which, let's move on to the sweet, sweet, sweet sixteen. Well, let's do some voting. All right.
0: All right. You 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 go first, Scott.
1: All right. So first up in our our Aleph uh bracket, I can't even think of words anymore. Um, we have our number one seed, Skitter. Uh she has handedly beaten all the competition so far but this time she's up against jessica yamada taylor verse her therapist i don't know matt who who are you gonna go with on this one
0: i'm i'm gonna go with taylor i mean
1: yeah i i agree (laughs) yeah
0: i'm just gonna go ahead and click that button now i mean i don't even feel the need to justify it Nope. (laughs) just uh, taylor is such a complicated character and 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 jessica she she's a she's a She's a good character, um, but um, come on, it's Taylor.
1: <laughs> I agree.
0: Next, we have Clockblocker versus Contessa.
1: Yeah, so um, Contessa, Contessa has so far bested Noel, uh, or sorry, bested uh, Teacher and Noel, and to get into the Sweet 16, uh, Clockblocker, on the other hand, is responsible for killing Carol Dallin and Miss Militia. So uh, who wins this one?
0: I feel I feel inclined to go with Clockblocker. Um I, at this point I'm I'm reduced to flailing for justifications like I think I just I think I see them as as more or less equally complicated characters but I think I just like Clockblocker more especially in his interlude. So that's my choice.
1: Never been a huge fan of Contessa as a character. Um I think she serves a function and I like a function in the story but uh I don't think I voted for her in any of these polls. <laughs> I will continue to not do so. I voted for Clockblocker.
0: Very well. Uh, I'm going to make you uh, say your vote first on this next one because I can't handle it.
1: Okay. Um, the first Sweet 16 roundup in the bet bracket is Lisa Tattletail versus Rachel. Bitch versus Tattletail. Matt. <sighs> um
0: I'm going st- to stay home from the polls. I'm too sick to vote. <laughs> no, you have fo- to
1: vote. You ha- Your voice uh, must be heard. Since I read the questions, you have to answer first.
0: No, I said <laughs> you have to do it.
1: Okay, fine. I'm clicking Rachel and clicking uh, vote there. Done. I did it. I voted for okay. Rachel. I'm always going to vote. I cannot. Like, I love Tattletail. She's a great character. I would have no problem with her winning the whole thing, but I cannot vote against Rachel rachel i can't do it i won't do it i didn't do it
0: man i i feel like in order to maintain some kind of balance in this podcast i'm gonna have to vote for for tattletale that's
1: the worst weakest most bullshittiest excuse i've ever heard
0: that's not really the reason i mean i i think i think tattletale's interlude is what sold me on her and i don't know i'm just i'm doing it i'm pulling the trigger
1: Thanks for canceling my vote, you, you jerk.
0: You, you can all just hate me, okay? Yeah, jerk. This was the moment when I sealed my fate. <laughs> the next match is uh, Defiant versus Bonesaw. Man, we're getting to some really hard matchups.
1: Yeah, this is the redemption uh, the redemption arc yeah. matchup.
0: I mean, I, I've said before that the story wouldn't really be what it is without Bonesaw. <laughs> I stand by that, so I'm going to vote for Bonesaw. <laughs>
1: um. Well, I'm going to do my duty and cancel your vote out because the correct answer here is Defiant.
0: Okay. All right. And that's what I voted. I, I think once again, we've just proven that you you are on the hero side <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually on the villain side. Yeah, you're a bad guy. Yeah.
1: But just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy.
0: <laughs> I didn't choose to be this way. <laughs> All right. The Earth Gimel Bracket. First match, we have Dragon versus Glastig Uenyeh.
1: Um, I'm gonna vote for my girl, Dragon.
0: I th- yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah, that wasn't a particularly hard decision for me.
0: Yeah, Dragon is um, it's just awesome, and yeah, I mean, I I think I think also Kira Vastiglenia doesn't become like as interesting as she is until like her interlude at the very end of the story. Yeah, the
1: very very end of the story. Yeah,
0: and then you're like, yeah, but I've spent this whole story falling in love with Dragon, so True. All right, Regent, my favorite character of all time against the Number Man. Wow, this is hard.
1: Well, then I guess I must vote for the Number Man.
0: <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. I'm not going to do that. Right.
1: I I don't I don't love the Number Man as much as people do. I'm kind of surprised at the lo- at the amount of love for him. Um but uh I'm voting for Regent.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, final bracket: Earth's Shin.
1: Uh oh.
0: Oh Christ! So
1: here's before we go on, I think we have to we have to acknowledge something here. We have a potential Amy Victoria matchup in the Elite Eight, the final of this region. Uh-huh. Um, but both of those characters need to get through this next vote, so. Uh, okay, go ahead. Just, but I just want you to consider that while you're making your decisions.
0: Uh, just consider that if I vote for Imp, who everyone loves and is beloved, but also I just adore Victoria Dallin for completely un-Ward related reasons. And it is absolutely insulting that you would insinuate <laughs> that the reason why I'm going to vote for her is because of Ward. I would insulting. I would
1: never do such a thing.
0: But, um, oh God, this is a hard one. Oh my God, it's so hard. I'm gonna close this my is, eyes. I'm gonna close my right eyes,
1: now. and I'm gonna click, and I'm gonna click vote. Okay. And, um, I don't. <laughs> I voted for <sighs> Victoria. I can't yeah, help I,
0: myself. I can't help myself. I'm, I can't I, vote against Victoria. I mean, I love. I love IMP. I love IMP, but I can't vote against. Victoria,
1: I know. I agree. I agree. Rules be damned, Victoria. Yeah, damn the rules. Those those fat cats who created the rules. Yeah, what did they know? What did they know? All right, the final matchup of uh, the Sweet Sixteen is Panacea versus the Seamurg.
0: Yeah, uh, Panacea. Yeah, done. Okay, good.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, that was fun. Woo. Everybody go do that now.
1: Yeah, go do voting if you haven't. It. It's uh, www.doofmedia.com slash March Madness. All you got to do is scroll down and see. Um, we have had some reports of people having trouble with the applets loading on Chrome. I don't know why because my Chrome runs them fine. So I'm not sure what's going on with your stuff there. Uh, maybe you're blocking Flash. Check that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I, yeah. I tried to look up and see if this is a common problem and I couldn't find anything uh anything but uh, if you try another browser it should work fine
0: yeah just just reformat your hard drive
1: yeah do that do
0: that well that's all we have for you this week folks on we've got ward remember you guys are all part of this show now so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading
1: and don't forget to answer that discussion question that i'm sure will not be controversial at all
0: no it's really fairly straightforward yeah
1: I, i mean all joking aside like i think this is a really Great question that doesn't necessarily have a right Or wrong answer um, so I Don't fight each other about this like just Listen just be charitable
0: Yeah right it's it does I, I honestly don't think it has the right answer
1: but yeah Yeah
0: yeah but still be you know Be passionate
1: yeah uh, you can reach us Via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com Or over on our twitter account at Gotwormpod my personal twitter Is at scottdaily85 and matt's Is at actually cradle was Right God <laughs> It's your Twitter not, account, man. I don't know why you uh, did All right.
0: Yeah, no, okay. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else podcasts can be found.
1: Why'd you say play like that? I don't know. As always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Uh, you can check out Vata View, The Doofcast, Deep Impact. Uh, our book club is coming up next week. So just go over the website and check out all that stuff. And if you haven't listened to any of these other shows, do so. I like them. You should, too. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And if you want to support any of our shows or activities <laughs> or, talking or like this? March's Madness. I, I don't know. I forgot <laughs> how to talk like a normal human. It, it's the March Madness thing threw me off. Okay. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests and costume contest, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent and lively Discord chat. As always, though, make sure you head over to Wildbo's Patreon while you're there patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to him as well because this is his multiverse we're just playing in it
1: and if you cannot afford to donate right now that's absolutely okay you can't instead help us out by uh talking to everyone you know about this show um hopefully talk a little bit better than matt has in these last few minutes um <laughs> Or you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from Patrick T., who gives us five stars and says, listen to this amazing podcast. This podcast has taught me things about Worm and Ward that I never would have known otherwise. The hosts are incredibly insightful, hilarious, and so hardworking. Thank you, Matt and Scott. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate
0: that. All right. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be back with more of Arc 12 Heavens.
1: It's, it's going to get violent in this. It's
0: going to be some bad stuff.